Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Wednesday morning, October 26th, 843-661-0937. I'll do a real abbreviated sports report. You ready? Mm-hmm. The only sports story I have it. Good morning, Royal Rev. Good morning, Freehold. Good morning. The only morning. sports story I have any interest in this morning, because the Phillies are in the World Series. Who cares? Right. Uh, the Astros are in the World Series. Who cares? We've right. seen them beat on trash cans before. <laughs> uh, the Gamecocks have it rolling. The Tigers are in good standing. So there's really not a lot of issues to address in the sports world, except I get tagged in a Facebook post yesterday. I saw that. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. is coming to race at the Florence Motor Speedway. That's a big deal to me. I mean, I, it yeah. may not be a big deal to the majority of our listeners, but that's a big deal to me. So here's what I want to do. Apparently, he talked about it on his podcast, and yeah. then he tagged the Florence Motor Speedway in his podcast post. Here's what I'm asking of our um, esteemed um, cohorts here at Wake Up Carolina. You ready? Mm-hmm. Freeho, you ready? Rev, you ready? Get ready. We got some buddies in NASCAR, mm, right? Sure. I mean, we have the president of Darlington Raceway on our show from time to time. Yep. Anyway, we can reach out to Earnhardt Jr. and see if we can get him on here to promote oh, his okay. um his appearing at the Florence Motor Speedway. That's a good idea. That yeah. would be kind of a get to me. Um, I don't care how many governors I talk to. I don't care how many senator- senatorial <laughs> candidates or, you know, gubernatorial. I, those people don't impress me much. Get me a NASCAR get, get driver. Junior. <laughs> get me Junior. Or somebody like that. One of these. Um, okay. And there's not many of the new drivers I really care much about talking to. But Junior would be one of those guys that I would have a great deal of interest in getting on the air and um, kind of kicking the proverbial can of NASCAR uh, down the road. But, yeah, I got tagged in a Facebook post. And you've had to explain to me what it means to get tagged. I don't want to be tagged. We don't have any charge. <laughs> you got tagged in this. And you got tagged in, in that. Um, so that's the only sports story that I have any keen interest in. So let's see if we can line up. Okay. Um, Maybe we don't. Maybe we're um. Maybe we're um. We're thinking too much of ourselves. Maybe we think that we've got uh, more yank than we really All do. All you can do is ask. But let's reach out to our um our folks okay. in the world of NASCAR. See what we can do about getting them on here and um and promoting the event at the Florence Motor Speedway. That's kind of exciting to me. But I'm a big race guy, big race fan. Um, let's go straight to politics. You ready? Because last night was one of the weirdest moments in the history of my political endeavors. Registered to vote at 40. Um, have never seen anything like what I witnessed last night in the debate in, uh, in Pennsylvania. I mean, it was bizarre. It was, um, it was sad. It was dangerous. It was scary. It was um, a little bit humorous at times. I mean, I don't care what you... I mean, if you're a human being, you have these impulses that we wish we didn't have. And there were times during Fetterman's appearance that I was like, wow. I mean, that's sad and tragic, and how dare they put him out there uh, to perform in the capacities in today. Um, I doubt very many of you watched it. Uh, did you watch it, Rev? I did not. Did you watch it, Freehold? I doubt very many of you did. Um, I actually got on some liberal website, and, um, and I looked all over the world to try and find it. Finally found it on YouTube. There's these two guys that I've watched their podcast before. They're extremely liberal, and um, you know they were doing the best they could to run interference for Fetterman, but it was bizarro. I mean, it, it was something like I've never, ever seen before. It was a, I mean, from a human perspective, it's it's sad. I mean, it really and truly is. But from a political, pers- I don't know, Rev, when you look at it through the lens of a, of a politician or a political operative, it's dangerous. What a party will do to maintain control and power. What a group of people will do to maintain control and power and it's, I mean, it's, it's a little bit like we watched Biden in his state of cognitive decline. I mean, th- th- this puts that to embarrassment. This guy makes Biden look like he is 
you know, ready to fly an F-16. I mean, it really, wow. I mean, and, and once again, now he's got a medical issue, but I mean, it's documented. He had a stroke. Now, now here's the problem because I'm texting with some buddies of mine. It's sad. It's tragic. No, it's dangerous. I mean, it's not sad nor tragic in the grand scheme of things. It's dangerous. And I want to play some clips as the show progresses this morning. I'll get Rev to go on a couple of websites that have them um, kind of cataloged. And uh, it is it's something like you will, I mean, the, the optic, the visual optic is, is scarier than just him struggling with trying to answer uh, some of the questions. Why does that matter? Um, well, I mean, a third of the people in Pennsylvania, well, a third of the uh, absentee ballots have already been mailed in and sent out. But I went this morning and looked at uh, electionbettingodds.com. There's a site called electionbettingodds.com. You can't bet on American politics as an American citizen. You can in some of the foreign markets. Um, FTX.com, Smarkets, Predicted, uh, Polymarket, HowPeopleBet.com. I mean, there's a variety of sites out there. Uh, John Stossel, formerly of Fox News, is actually um, an investor in electionbettingodds.com. It's kind of a trade site. You know, you trade, you traffic in some of the betting. Um, Every Sunday at about 6 o'clock, I Google college football early lines to see what some of the betting houses in uh, Las Vegas are thinking about the Tigers and Gamecocks. And this week it'll be Tennessee and Kentucky and, you know, some of the bigger games to see kind of what the um, the, the opening line is and then the money plays and it starts moving a little bit one way or the other. But I went to electionbettingodds.com um, last night or this morning and they were moving uh, in real time. Um, it was about 50-50. When the Fetterman-Oz debate started, it was about 50-50 who's likely to win. And today, I want to make sure I get this straight. Let me get to uh, uh, the overall ads, the the overall odds of the Democrats, excuse me, the Republicans winning control of the Senate. Remember, 538 had it about one in three. Well, today it's about two in three. It's not quite two in three, but the betting odds have the Republicans um, gaining control of the Senate at 64.6%. That's up about 5% since yesterday. The Republicans are at 30, excuse me, the Democrats are at 35.5%. That's down about five points. And it's all about Fetterman. And um, I mean, I think the, the Georgia race has already moved. I don't know if you saw this yesterday or not, but the Trafalgar poll, the latest Trafalgar poll came out yesterday, had Walker up two and a half. But this is all about the macros we've talked about. I'm kind of proud of what we've done. Uh, we, we've kind of nailed it thus far. Now, we can get surprised on Election Day, but um, but we said a month or two ago that this will boil down to Georgia, Pennsylvania. I mean, we're not the only ones saying it, but, but there were a lot of others saying this is what you get for nominating Dr. Oz and Blake Masters and Herschel Walker and J.D. Vance and Adam Laxalt. I mean, these are fringe candidates, guys. These are... These are Trump-endorsed, election-denying, um, you know, radicals. Well, I'll say this. I looked on 538 site last night. Of the 202 candidates running in 40 states with election, I'll use their word, denier, as part of their portfolio, 70% of the 202 have better than a 90% chance of winning. Remember, 538 is not a pollster, right? I mean, he's a modeler. And he takes all of this information, feeds it into some supercomputer somewhere, and out of that comes analytics and data. Well, of the 202 candidates, 
and they're running in gubernatorial races, House races, Senate races, state legislatures, and, uh, you know, the federal government. Of the 202 in the 40 states, 70% have a better than 90% chance of winning, so election denying is not out of the mainstream. It's not a fringe belief. In fact, Hillary Clinton is joining the party. I don't know if you saw this or not, but she's already um, giving forewarning or fair warning that the um, the 2022 midterms will be stolen by the Republicans. The 2024, I mean, there's already the, a plan in place. Right wing, yeah, the extremist right, right wingers are preparing to steal well, the I'm presidential election. I'm telling you, election. Rev. Here, here's the concern I have: extremism. If the left gets their way, they get to define what extremism is, and extremism is a crime. Everybody right. has a right to be as extreme as you choose to be. You have a right to be an extremist if you choose to. Frio has a right to be an extremist if he chooses to. I should have the right to be an extremist if I choose to. The left wants to live in a world where they get to define exactly what words mean, you know, and, uh, and extremism would be one. So, so they get to define the word, and then they get to dole out the punishment for being an extremist. Tucker talked a lot about this yesterday. Um, I didn't watch but a minute or two because I really wanted to watch that Fetterman debate. And you will not believe your ears nor eyes if you watch this. It's kind of a hulking of a guy, but he's 6'8", big old um, brawny guy. Looks kind of funny in a suit because he's always wearing a hoodie. But um, Oz did well, prepared, articulate. You would expect that. The guy's been on television for, what, 20 or 25 years. He's well aware of how to play um, that performing role. But Fetterman was completely and totally, totally um, incoherent. And um, even some of the, the more, uh, Joe Scarborough and some of the other liberals, I mean, they, once again, the diehard hacks, or they do what they do. And it's all about abortion with these people. I mean, they want control of the Senate. They want control of the House. They want control of the White House so they can kill babies. They have no other plan. There is no policy issue that matters to the Democrats. Only dole out, you know, um, letting violent offenders out of jail making sure people who don't work get paid, and killing babies. I mean, I've not heard another Democrat give any policy of substance other than those. You know, it's interesting. Jeff calls in yesterday and criticizes the Scott plan and the Trump agenda. And with all due respect, I've not heard anybody from the Democrat side pronounce or announce what their plans are. What is the agenda? And the American people are really beginning to suspect that they don't know what they're doing. I saw the Biden approval this morning, 42.1%. Um, now, now, I don't believe it goes as far as winning in Washington or winning in New Hampshire, but I think the Republican wins in Nevada, the Republican wins in Arizona, the Republican wins in Ohio, the Republican wins now in Pennsylvania because you've got a guy who really and truly makes Biden look like he's got his feces consolidated better than anybody ever has. I want to go there. I mean, we'll play some of this. And I'm not trying to embarrass a guy who has a medical issue. I'm trying to embarrass a political party that will do anything and everything, including stand somebody up there who just got over a stroke, who has no, no business at all being a member of the U.S. Senate. But it's about power. It's about control. And the Democrats are, I mean, they have this burning desire to make sure they get to call the shots. They, it's a totalitarian mindset. It's um, not, we're not going to debate the issue. We're going to not allow you to, um, you, you know, espouse your views on whatever issue it is coming down the pike. Let's go to the phone, then we'll take our first break. Here's Breeze. Good morning. Hey, what's up, guys? You know, I've been kind of reflecting a little bit. You know, there have been times 
over the past three, you know, for this, over the past three years, a year leading up to Trump's, um, you know, the last election, to where I was actually a coward a few times. I, more than that, actually, you know, you, you know, it's amazing when you, when you, you can see what happens to these countries that turn into communist countries and have dictatorships. I was, you know, I was afraid at our house at times to say, what are we going to do if people, you know, come, you know, if, if the mob of these crazy nuts, because they are bad by themselves, but you know, but when they attack you, I was worried that my comments and stuff on Facebook that I was going to have Antifa or BLM in front of our business. You know, this is the fear they put into us. I mean, I, and it, you know, and then y'all was hearing these jabronis hold on Facebook. It's time to grab your AR-15. These guys wouldn't want to get hit with a Q-tip, but they're saying all this stuff like they're badasses and everything. But I'm telling you, that's their plan. Their plan is to get us afraid of them. And then you'd have to ask yourself, you know, I mean, they're, they're just total cowards. But to tell you the truth, you know, you shouldn't have to be afraid of the FBI. You shouldn't have to be afraid of that the government is going to come after you and destroy your life. And I'm afraid, kid, if you and I, I mean, hell, I'm 60, you get right up on it. We're really kind of past the age where we're supposed to be fighting. And everybody can say age is just a number. That's bull crap. Age is a number. Age is more than a number. But I'm afraid if you and I and the rest of us people in our 50s and 60s, because these other kids ain't got the guts to do it, if we don't really stand up and fight and maybe take the blow and maybe, maybe have some bad things happen to us, I'm afraid that um, we ain't going to have, um, our children are going to have to have this fight. And to tell you the honest to God truth, I don't know if they're up to part. You know, they just don't have to fight in them. And, you know, and, um, and again, back to the whole testosterone thing, I believe that um, that testosterone is being lowered on purpose. I believe that the vaccination has a far more sinister, it's not a vax, has a far more sinister purpose in mind. I would love to hear a doctor come on right now that had the courage to, um, to defend the vaccination. And I would like to hear somebody really try to daggone explain why all of these athletes, I saw in Florida that they have a 38% increase and I may be slightly wrong as far as if, if I think of heart attack deaths in that 18 to 34 group. I mean, what they're doing to us is straight out of a communist playbook. And I, and I tell you, um, I get angry, get mad, and sometimes I get scared, you know. And, um, and I can still handle myself pretty good, you know, against most people, maybe maybe a couple of people. But, you know, when you start talking about fighting the government, I don't know what the hell I would do if, if all 15 FBI agents pull up, and you'd have to do it, pull up my damn all business and their SWAT gear, and that's what they're doing to people. Man, this thing is still a long way from over, and you better believe this, that we do win, or we, the Republicans do win. We are in for a battle then. You wait. If you think stuff was bad a couple of years ago, you wait to what happens if the Republicans take over. If those boys don't go to fighting hard and, and put the fear, with the fear of freedom and these Democrats' heart and souls, they will riot. They will do everything under the sun. Man, this thing is so far from being over. And I don't know if our Republicans that we're elected, the weirdos that they're that the people are calling the weirdos might be our only hope. Our Marjorie Taylor Greens and the rest of those. Because I don't think our hope lies with the rest of these sister Republicans. Because I don't, I mean, this is, 
this is going to be a hell of a fight, and this is going to be a fight for the rest of our lives, kid. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. I want to stay there for a second. See, I made a lot of notes to myself last night watching the debate, sending emails to myself. Here's the deal. And I think Jeff, I mean, our, our conversation yesterday was civil, but it reflected something. The Democrats for the last 20 or 25 years have expected the Republicans to roll over. And they have. I mean, by and large, they have. Um, you know, let, let's be dignified here. Let's be respectful here. Let's be civil here. Let's get to a a common, um, you know, th- there's this concern we have. Let's just get to this common goal, what is better for everybody. The one thing Trump brought to the table was a fighting spirit. Now, now maybe he fought it at times that fighting was not worth it, but, but at least he fought. And if the left picked up a stick and hit the right of the head, Historically, the right has said, don't do that. I mean, that, that's uncivil. That's, um, that's not the way politics in America should be conducted. And Trump convinced us that there's really a battle. I mean, that, that there's a battle for the heart and soul of the, of the American, you know, I mean, of, of its soul and consciousness and, and well-being. And, and I'm not saying Trump was the answer. But, but Trump absolutely provided the blueprint for what happens when we have these political moments of conflict and controversy and, and I think we were looking, I can't speak for we, I was looking for someone who would not refuse to stand there and go toe-to-toe and blow-to-blow with the American political left. And I think it really, I mean, when I look at Obama and Trump, I see Obama as a transformational figure, someone who really and truly doesn't like what America historically has stood for and believed in and wanted to transport to more of a European socialist, uh, big government you know, big brother sort of model. And and somebody had to stand. Somebody had to provide an equal and opposite resistance. And nobody in the party did that. Now, now did Trump provide the intellectual underpinning for a sustainable political movement? Probably not. Probably not. But he convinced a universe of people that it's okay to fight. It's okay to stand against, you know, some of these authoritative and totalitarian elements. It's interesting to me that the left will refer to Trump as a fascist, and a totalitarian, I mean, I think that they embody that. I mean, they, they absolutely encapsulate that. And I think Tucker nailed it a little bit yesterday when he said that all of a sudden one group of people get to determine what extreme is and what extremism is. And if you break their definition of what extreme or extremism is, they get to decide what the punishment gets doled out. That's scary, guys. I mean, I'm a little bit like Breeze. I ain't as big as Breeze, but I go to the gym and I feel like I can handle myself okay. I don't want any part of the FBI. I don't want any part of the CIA. I don't want any part of the IRS. I'm scared to death of those government agencies because why? They have the full authority of the United States federal government at their back. So here's the deal, and then we'll take our first break. When the Republicans take charge, what is their intent? What is their What are their priorities? Do they form committees? Do they aggressively thwart the government overreach that we believe has been so hideous and one-sided. You know, I can't answer that. I mean, I don't believe that that Pat Toomey in Pennsylvania and Rob Portman in Ohio had an interest in that. But does J.D. Vance, Dr. Oz, Blake Masters, that's what I keep referring to this movement. That's why the midterms are such a big deal. I mean, if Masters gets elected in Arizona, he's a kind of a Trumpster. If Vance does, I mean, they, all of these folks, I mean, they ascribe to this Peter Thiel notion of a kind of an anti-intervention, anti-globalist, anti-China, but, but it's also an anti-bureaucratic America agenda. It's kind of interesting. Um, when I read these uh, essays or dissertations on, you know, what we should or should not do, 
How many of you are more skeptical of China than you are the U.S. bureaucracy? How many of you, I mean, to think about that, guys, I mean, I don't trust China as far as I can throw them. How much more do I trust my government? I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I mean, I, I, I dabble in that because I think sometimes they're worth seriously considering. But, but, I mean, how much more do you trust your government than you do the Chinese government or the Russian government? I mean, that's a bizarre question to ask. But I think if you asked Republican voters, there wouldn't be that much difference. Here's the deal. I don't have to be impacted or affected daily by the Chinese government. I mean, I understand they're there. I think they're the geopolitical adversary of our time. I have no choice with the U.S. government. I mean, I have no choice with the FBI, CIA, IRS, you know, uh, administrative state of our federal government. And I don't think that's out there. I mean, I understand that it would have normally been perceived as being out there a bit. What are the Republicans going to do to rein in the FBI, to restore integrity and virtue and a sense of fairness in the FBI? Are they going to do anything or not? You know, there's a lot of things we can do with China. There's a lot of things we can't do with China. The, the, the FBI answers to the federal, the, 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 you know, the management of the federal government. That includes our Senate and Congress. What are they going to do to address some of the issues within the bowels of our bureaucracy of government? Take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. Ah, forget for a second what the mainstream media is telling you. Here's what the folks are betting on, and in, in, um, like in some of the European markets, England in particular, um, the Republican in Nevada has a 65.2 chance of winning the Democrat 34.8. That's Adam Laxalt. So that is a lean Republican. In Arizona, this is still a toss-up. Democrat, 51.5. That's Kelly. Blake Masters, 48.5. That's not polling. That's odds. I mean, it doesn't mean he's behind 51.5 to 48.5 in any sort of poll. Let's go to Pennsylvania. You ready? 62% chance for the Republican, 38% chance for the Democrat. That's a 10-point swing in a single day. I mean, that shows you how bad a performance Oz, excuse me, um, Fetterman had. But but he's a, he's a diminished guy. I mean, he, he's significantly diminished in his cognitive abilities, but it doesn't matter. He'd be a reliable vote on, um, you know, welfare. He'd be a reliable vote on abortion. It's really about abortion. I mean, th- this is really about, you know, whether or not we're going to figure out a way to federalize legislation, codify legislation, put the federal government in charge of abortion, and the Democrats in the House and Senate and White House, um, you know, over Roe v. Wade got overturned. Dobbs is now law of the land. Um, I think Lindsey made a faux pas by introducing some federal legislation, and I kind of agree with the concept of what he did. But, I mean, the argument the conservatives have made all this time has been, you know, authorize the states to, you know, determine what sort of a, you know, abortion law they'd like. And Lindsey says, no, let's federalize the law. And that, I think that just opens the door. I think it diminishes the argument the political right has made about federal, you know, federalist or, or federalist policies and states deciding what their abortion laws are going to be. Conceptually, I'm with Lindsey. I mean, I think saving lives and, and, and stopping babies from being killed. I mean, I think that is a very honorable policy position to, to stand on. But, but once again, our argument was what? The federal government shouldn't regulate abortion. That, that right reserves is reserved for, for the states. And, you know, um, but, but it, all Fetterman is is a reliable vote for abortion, period. 
Doesn't matter if he can't spell his name or, or get out of the rain. Doesn't matter if he's cognitively impaired. He is a reliable vote for abortion. Let's go to the phone. Dale and Florence. Morning, Dale. Hey, guys. I'm scared of a lot of the same things that you, that, that, that you guys and Breeze are talking about. But uh, I was listening to Levin last night, and he made a pretty compelling case. Uh, one of the people I'm the most scared of is, like, Mitch McConnell. And, I, I mean, it, it really seems to me like he weaponized uh, campaign funding. You know, no money for Blake Masters, no money for J.D. Vance. And you, you got to think that the whole reason that, that he's withholding that money from who I think are very, very excellent candidates, he says they're no good, is because they're not going to vote for him for Senate Majority Leader. And there's a lot of people to be afraid of. You guys are right. Uh, and, 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 you know, you love Donald Trump. You hate him. One thing you can't deny, he was right about the swamp. I prefer to call it the sewer. Um, but he was right about that, and I'm afraid of a lot of of a lot of people who say they're in our party and can't seem to get up with the changes that are occurring or, or are trying to hold back the changes that are occurring in the party, which I see the changes as a really positive direction to go in. Uh, and, 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 and I do honestly believe that at some point those of us with weapons are going to end up using them to protect our rights. But I am afraid of some of this, the people in our own party like Mitch McConnell as well. You guys have a good day. Thank you, Dale. But, but here's the point. And I mean, Dale knows this, and the majority of you know this. We can change the membership of the Senate in a single election. We're not going to have Pat Toomey. I hope and pray we have Dr. Oz. We're not going to have Rob Portman. I hope and pray we have J.D. Vance. Let's hope that we don't have Astronaut Kelly, but instead Blake Masters. Let's hope we don't have Reverend Warnock, but rather Herschel Walker. We, we can change the makeup of the Senate in certain ways at certain times, but leadership is an impenetrable form. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's hard to change leadership. Those guys have been there forever. They know how the town works. They understand how the system operates. So when Walker gets there, when Masters gets there, when, when, um, when Vance gets there, when hopefully Oz gets there, they're not going to Washington to assume a role of leadership. That is still reserved for the old hands. So, so, so yes, we're going to hopefully and prayerfully change some of, the, um, some of the Republican makeup of the Senate, but we're not going to change the leadership in a single election. We're just simply not. We've got a chance in two more years of, of you know, getting some different sorts of Republicans elected. Um, that's always been uh, my stance. I mean, I, I've always said, look, as much as I'd like to change it all in an election cycle or two, I mean, this is going to be a, I mean, this is going to be a process. It's going to be a work in progress. It's going to be a win here and a win there and an America firster here and another America firster there. And, and sooner or later, you get to a tipping point where someone, I mean, this concerns Washington, but no, someone like Rand Paul has a chance to be a majority leader. I mean, imagine that. Imagine Rand Paul 10 years ago being a fringe, kind of a non-interventionist, non-globalist, out-there Republican, the son of Ron Paul. We know how crazy Ron Paul is. Well, his son may be a little more, uh, you know, uh, his son may be a little more mainstream than he is, but not much. You know, not much at all. He's one of these extremists, once again. And there'll be a crime for extremism before long. 
But but all of a sudden, Blake Masters has a choice to make. Do I want Rand Paul or Mitch McConnell to be my majority leader? I mean, I can tell you who I'd vote for. I mean, if I were a member of the U.S. Senate as a Republican and had a choice between Rand Paul as my leader or Mitch McConnell, I'd vote for Rand Paul a hundred times before I'd vote for Mitch McConnell once. Um, John Thune is a little better than Mitch McConnell, but he's not what we want. I mean, he's not a pure America firster. He doesn't believe in the America first agenda. Thune's been there a long time. He's played the game well. He's um he understands how the you know how the the, the process works and how he pro- progresses to some role of leadership. But um but but we're not going to get. We can win Pennsylvania with an America firster. We can win Arizona with an America firster. We're not going to win the majority leadership position in a single election cycle. I mean, I'd love for that to happen. I know the majority of you would love for that to happen. I love J.D. Vance to be majority leader on January 3rd. I mean, I think he's capable, competent, and and very, I mean, I think he's prepared to do that. But but I think that's a, a bit too much to ask for. And um, when, you're, when you're really changing the inner workings of a political party, I've got friends, guys. I mean, I won't disclose their names, but I've got friends in the party. I mean, I'm talking about high-ranking officials within the party, not office holders, but people who have worked for the party many, many, many years who still don't like the fact that we've got a Blake Masters and we've got a J.D. Vance and we've got a Oz and we've got a, a Walker. They'd much rather have the trains running as the trains normally always ran. Why? Because they're self-preservationist. That Their lot in life is preserved as long as things are running as they always have. So, I mean, they, these are good people. They're, they're very decent people. They're conservative-minded people. But they've got no interest in this party having kind of a uh, being turned on its head and a Rand Paul having a chance to be majority leader of the U.S. Senate. I mean, I think that's what it takes. I mean, I don't think we need, you know, a scalpel. I think we need a sledgehammer. And, and I think this election cycle, if things break our way, um, and I think they're beginning to break our way, I'm not counting the eggs before they hatch, but I think they're beginning to break our way. We could have a monumental shift of of um, influence, not power, influence within the Republican caucus. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Morning, Joe. Yeah, good morning, guys. I'm either blessed very much or cursed in the fact that I get to listen to all four hours of the show. <laughs> I hear you. It would probably be a little boat. I think I think I'm more blessed than cursed though. But that conversation, I don't know if Mike told you. I called in again. I told him I said I don't like calling in twice in one day, and I don't think you're going to let me. But I am so upset now. This this Jeff guy, you know, he he left out the the main talking point of the Democrat Party and Republicans are communists and Nazis, and they want your parents to die, your racist bigots home. It's it's unreal. He thinks that we believe what our people tell us without checking it out. See, the Democrats told the Democrat Party that if Roe v. Wade is done away with, there'd be no more abortions. It'll be illegal. You'll go to jail. Well, guess what? That didn't happen. That's why there's not that big of a, a deal on abortions now, because it didn't do what they said it would do. The Georgia voting law, they said is Jim Crow 2.0. Nobody would be able to vote if you were black or brown or anything else. 
they got the largest turnout they've ever had. He picks on the one guy that even discusses Social Security. Uh, or Rick, name Rick Scott from Florida. Florida. Yeah, Rick Scott. Rick Scott from Florida. That's a starting conversation. He doesn't understand that Social Security, as it is, is going to go cut benefits in in less than 15 years if they do nothing. That's why it's so screwed up now because they waited to the last minute. And and who changed Social Security? They didn't do away with it in 83. Ronald Reagan changed it to make it last as long as it's lasting now. They just started taxing the benefits, but who upped those taxes? The Democrats. They didn't change anything, and they unadjusted it for inflation. So now you got more people paying taxes on their Social Security. You know, all this, they always talk about equality, equality, equality. Well, the only way to be have equality is everyone go to zero because there is no equality in this world. You can have equal opportunities. You can have equal pay rates. You can have everything, but equality you can't have because people have different drives, different levels of education, different skills, different motivations. And the only way to get the equality is to go down to zero. Why do you think they call Obama the food stamp president? Because he took food stamps. And I remember when the same argument back in 83, when when Reagan cut the food stamp budget, almost 50%, oh, the children's going to starve. Well, he looked at that program and saw it was a a $100 program being thrown at $10 for the the individual. So he cut 50% of it because there was so much fraud, waste, and abuse. If we just cut the fraud, waste, and abuse out, we would save half a trillion dollars a year. But you asked yesterday, what can we expect our, our people to do? They've got a chance in, in December with this continuing resolution. They can, they can cut 100 or make them cut $130 billion out of this boondoggle spending they've been doing because of the sequestration act, the PAYGO that they put in. That's the law of the land. So they're about $130 billion over that. And it takes 60 senators to pass that. We'll see if they make them cut or not. Joe, we got to take a break. Hard break, top of the hour. Back in just a minute. You know, I argued with some of my doctor friends during the pandemic about how politics or the, I don't know, the government was corrupting their profession. Some pushed back and some were like, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Uh, They were very uncomfortable in saying some of the things that were strongly suggested they say or following some of the orders that were strongly suggested by the government. Um, There's this Dr. Clifford Chin who released a letter last week. I'm declaring that Fetterman spoke intelligently without cognitive deficits. His speech is normal. Um, He's suited for higher office. I mean, to me, suited for a doctor's office, not higher office. But Chin's a liar. I mean, he's simply a liar. I don't have any idea what sort of doctor he is. I don't know his qualifications, his education, his certification. But but there, there is no way 
after watching the debate that you can believe anything Dr. Clifford Chin said. And it just reminded me of some of the comments I made about the um, the medical profession industry slash business and its coexistence with government. And and I would be very careful if I were someone in the healthcare community, doctor in particular, about you know allowing the world of politics, the the, the corrupt, um, uh, monetarily influenced world of politics, to suggest that I need to say something. I mean, if you're Dr. Clifford Chin. And you wrote a letter, a formal letter, basically disclosing your medical opinion that Fetterman's fine. I mean, there's nothing to see here. Once again, his exact words, Fetterman spoke intelligently without cognitive deficit. His speech is normal. Um, that's just a lie. I mean, that's just a bald-faced lie, just like some of the advisories we were given via the federal government and doctors endorsed some of that. I mean, it's a lie. Uh, you know, th- there's some professions we must trust. Healthcare is one. I mean, your doctor, that that relationship. Uh, what did we call it a while back? The hypocritical oath. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you, you got to trust those guys and ladies to give you sound medical advice. And I think the pandemic stained the profession that is medicine. And I think Dr. Clifford Chin gives the medical profession another black mark or demerit by you know just signing up. I mean, he's, he's obviously not an honest broker. He's a liar. I mean, he may be a great doctor, but in this case, he's a liar because he says, once again, there's nothing to see here. Fetterman is well uh, prepared to be in office when we know better after watching uh, the events of last night. I want to play some of that last night. The majority of you probably didn't watch it. You're not junkies and geeks and nerds like I am, but um, wow. I mean, it was unbelievably strange and very much to Oz's favor. Back in a minute. Leave it to a reporter from Politico to characterize the issue in a very matter-of-fact and uh, politically correct way. You ready? Mm -hmm. Politico reporter Natalie Allison tweeted, um, immediately following the debate last night between Fetterman and Oz, the ability to process conversation in real time and respond is a lingering challenge. And that was absolutely a real issue tonight for Fetterman. This is less than a week after a medical doctor, but basically signed off on his health and well-being and said no cognitive issues, no concern about his um his processing, his audible processing is just fine. Nothing to see here. Now I have no idea what the DNC promised this doctor, but I go back to, and I want to be careful here because I got a lot of doctors who were friends. They're great friends and great doctors and care deeply about that patient and their responsibility to the patient. Some just simply don't. I mean, some are obviously more committed to political expediency. You know, one party gaining control of the House or Senate, what's in their best interest, whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, reimbursements, or, you know, uh, whatever. Whatever doctors need from uh, the government, this this, uh, Charlie Chin obviously is a doctor that was more interested in political expediency then he was the hypocritical oath. Um, <laughs> um Don't take my word for it. I mean, I've asked Rev to try to, um, we, we got one bit, and we'll try to get another one or two. But this was about normal last night. I mean, I flipped the tube on, uh, the computer on at about 8 o'clock, began watching the debate. Once again, there's a couple of liberal podcasters that I watch because I scratch my Why? head like, how can so? Well, I mean, I think you need to understand how other people can think such insane things, but they do. I mean, they absolutely do. 
And um, and there are a couple of guys who one has uh, two couple of million subscribers, the other has a million or so. But they're um they're kind of front and center on running interference for whatever the liberals need, and they're influential in that young podcasting world. So um they carry the debate live. They um offered commentary actually during the debate. They'd kind of you know chime in and opine on what they heard or what they thought they heard. I mean everything was critical to Oz. And, and after the debate, one, the guy with the 1.7 million subscribers said, well, it's obvious the story of the night was um, Oz not answering the question on federalizing abortion law. No, the, the question was your guy couldn't answer a question. Your guy couldn't make a coherent sentence. Your guy couldn't. I mean, your guy really enjoyed, it was sad from a humanistic perspective. You, you feel a little sympathy. I mean, you do until you realize this is about a dependable vote. This is about a reliable vote. This is about codifying abortion law into federal code, making it um, basically usurping the Supreme Court decision of um, overturning Roe v. Wade and Dobbs being the new standard when it comes to abortion. I mean, that you know, this is all about abortion. The Democrats are so committed to killing babies that they'll allow a man who obviously has no business running for higher office because he's a dependable vote. He would vote to codify the legislation that allows the federal government to implement whatever abortion law the federal government sees fit. That's why he's there. But I want you to listen for about, what, 40, 45 seconds. And once again, now, this is not a one-off. I mean, this would have, I could play 10 of these, and one would be a little more alarming than the last. The reason this is interesting is Fetterman is on the record opposing and supporting fracking. I mean, imagine that. Uh, he's, um, he supports fracking when he's in front of certain groups. He doesn't support fracking when he's in front of other groups. It doesn't matter, guys, because the media is the propaganda arm. Nobody will ever hold Oz accountable for having conflicting positions. If a Republican says, I'm for, and then a year later says, I'm against, it is the, I mean, it's the bullseye on the back. I mean, the media is out to kill. It is a, I mean, he, they are a heat-seeking missile. You said this Dr. Oz, and they referred to him as Mr. Oz. I thought that was a bit odd. I mean, that, that's a slap in the face. I mean, he's, he's Dr. Oz. Whether you like it or not, he's a medical doctor. He's Dr. Oz. That's kind of weird to me, but that's what they called him. Um, but they called him Mr. Oz. Mm-hmm. Just like they called him, not President Trump, but Mr. Trump. There, there, are, a lot of, um, there are a lot of effects the media uses to, um, to get their points across. But once again, if you're Fetterman and you've never been asked to defend, how can you be for and against fracking? Well, it depends on what the definition of is is. Remember? (laughs) I mean, you know, words have no meaning in Democrat circles. And here's the price we all pay when the media, academia, big tech becomes so monolithic in nature and so much of a cheerling and propaganda arm for the American political left. But I want you to hear it. I mean, here's, once again, I'll get revved to, we'll, we'll try to download another story or another bit or two. But here's um here's Fetterman addressing the question of fracking. Why is it important? Pennsylvania is the second biggest energy producing state in America behind Texas. Produces more energy than even Oklahoma. So it's a big deal. Fracking and energy is a big deal in Pennsylvania. Here is um, what, what Dr. Chin says, a perfectly capable and able has no, you know, uh, that we should not be concerned at all with with his ability to audibly process. Let's go. 
how critical it is that we produce our own energy and create energy independence. I must correct the record. Uh, well, he uh, just a second, Mr. Oz. I do want to clarify something. You're saying tonight that you support fracking, that you've always supported fracking. But there is that 2018 interview that you said, quote, I don't support fracking at all. So how do you square the two? Uh, I, I, I do support fracking, and I don't, I don't, I support fracking, and I stand, and I do support fracking. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Fetterman. On I'm to sorry, the- Lisa, but there, there's not just a statement you... The hell is that? Hmm. I mean, that's Rain Man, right? I mean, that's Charlie Babbitt made a joke. Remember? I mean, I'm not, I'm not d- demeaning Rain Man, but he obviously had an issue. I mean, he had a, he had a serious mental issue. That he was trying to deal with. His brother knew that. Charlie Babbitt knew that his brother was not normal. This cat's running for the U.S. Senate and has a 50% chance to win because he's a reliable vote for abortion. It's not because he's a competent guy. Nothing about his life suggests competency. Nothing about his life suggests accomplishment. But he's a liberal. And he would vote to codify legislation that allows for women to have abortions in the third trimester. That's all that matters. And it's, and it's odd to me and bizarre to me that one political party puts so much of its energy in killing babies. That's just so bizarre to me. But really and truly, when you listen to liberal pundits, when you watch MSNBC, when you hear the CNN you know, talking head, this is still about abortion. They want to make this about abortion. They don't like the fact that Roe v. Wade got overturned and now the states are empowered to make their abortion laws as they see fit and states are grappling with abortion law. They're doing the best we can or the best they can. Um, No, they want the federal government to be in charge of killing babies and allow the killing of babies at any point during a woman's pregnancy and no matter if a candidate in Pennsylvania is obviously, obviously, cognitively cognitively declined he is a dependable vote he is a loyal ally and supporter and he will do what he's told when the time comes whether or not to codify legislation that allows for the killing of babies you know the terminating pregnancies no matter what time it is during a film mean, that's 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 scary guys I mean, but that's where we are that that's exactly where we are in american politics today that there is no way a reasonable person can conclude that that man needs to be in the Senate. That man needs to be in a doctor's office. That man needs to be receiving quality medical care. That man has serious, serious issues. His ability to communicate, his ability to comprehend, his ability to understand, his ability to serve the public. I mean, how, how is the media allowing him to get away with that? But they have. Because once again, the majority of people in the media have no problem with a woman terminating a pregnancy in the 35th, 36th, 37th week. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Here's Williams in Orangeburg. Morning, Williams. Hey, um, Ken, let me talk about something, man. What, 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 um, you got the Republican Party who back in Trump. And Trump caused all this mess by lying. He he went to court, couldn't prove nothing. But y'all back him. I don't know, man. Y'all trying to destroy democracy. On January 6th, it was the Proud Boys, those keepers, 
white national, white supremacist, and America first was at the Capitol, trying to break in it, trying to kill people. But it's all right. You don't want to talk about that. You don't want to talk about that. I'm the blood in Vietnam on the ground. And 8,000 people die in Vietnam for democracy. You got to fight for democracy, man. What's up with that? Williams, I got a question for you. You asked me a lot of questions. Let me ask you a question. Why are more black people than ever voting Republican? Man, you, 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 your figures is wrong, man. Your figures is wrong. Well, they're, they're not necessarily my figures. I mean, Pew Research your says it. Wrong, Gallup man. says it. Quinnipiac yeah, says hey, it. Hey, hey, Monmouth hey, says hey, it. Hey, Trafalgar says it. There, there's, not a, there's not a polling hey, company out there. Hey, let me ask you one question. Okay. <laughs> Would you fight for democracy? That's why I vote Republican, because I think they believe in democracy. Hey, they don't believe in democracy. All of them lying. Have a good day, man. Thank you, Williams. Appreciate it. I didn't get an answer out of Williams on that question. I mean, if, 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 if the Republicans are such a threat to democracy, why are more and more African Americans and Hispanics who believe they've been left out to some degree of the prosperity of democracy voting for a Republican Party when Trump is the dominant figure and America First is the brand that, that gains the most uh, notoriety and, and energy. I mean, that's kind of an interesting... I mean, I know it doesn't fit the narrative. I know it's problematic for the left when, 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 a, when a party that they argue is racist becomes more diverse. The Republican Party today is more diverse than it's ever been. A higher percentage of African-Americans, a higher percentage of Hispanics are voting for the America First version of the Republican Party than at any time in Republican history. But the media wants you to be convinced it's a racist, um, anti-diverse, you know, um, closed-minded, bigoted. It's just not the truth. And once again, Rev, here's the problem. And I, I love Williams to death, and I like that he listens, and I love when he calls in. I don't agree with the word he says, and he obviously doesn't agree with much of, of what I say. But, I mean, you, you can have your opinions. Facts are stubborn things at times, and the facts clearly show that right now, at this point in American political history, the Republican Party is interesting to Hispanics. It's interesting to African Americans to the point that they're beginning to say, hey, I'm not as loyal to the Democrats as I've always been. I'm not as loyal to the liberal agenda as I've always been. Have you seen the the the, the polling data on African Americans, Hispanics, and transgenderism, gender mutilation, sex change, abortion? Really? You know who's more pro-life? You know who's no you know who's more pro-life than evangelical Christians? Evangelical African Americans. But, but it doesn't fit the, once again, the media narrative is one thing. But the media narrative told us Fetterman was okay until he's not. You got to believe the media held their collective breaths last night when that debate started. And about 10 seconds into it, after he said, you know, Fetterman introduced himself. Hi, good night, everyone. I mean, mm-hmm. kind of kind of let that stew. Hi, good night, everyone. I mean, that, that was his introductory. I mean, so, so the media held its collective breath because Joe Scarborough told us that a doctor signed off on his health and CNN says nothing to see here. And the New York Times and Washington Post and CBS and ABC, Fetterman's fine. I mean, he's recovering well. He's ahead of schedule and getting uh, treatment for his, for his stroke. It's obvious he's not. 
He's not a well man. He has no business in the U.S. Senate. But about half the country are hoodwinked and gullible enough to buy everything the media says. That, that's what really is. It's not real alarming to me that Fetterman and the Democrats are propping him up for as long as they need to because he, they see him as a dependable vote. I mean, he'll be the abortion vote. He'll be the vote to, to not change the entitlement programs. He'll be the vote to spend uh, whatever we don't have on whatever programs we don't need. I mean, he'll always be there for them. So they're not concerned at all about his mental capacities or cognitive um, state. That They're just more concerned, can we count on him? And if we can count on him, prop him up, get him out there some way, somehow. That's not alarming to me. I mean, political parties have a burning desire for power. The Republicans have that as well. I mean, the political party and political apparatus has a, a just a, a deep-rooted desire to be in charge, to have power, to, to persuade the debate one way or the other. The alarming part to me is 50% of Pennsylvanians believe he's who they want to send to Washington to represent them as a member of the U.S. Senate, the most, power governing, the most powerful governing body in the history of mankind. And that guy is going to be an equal member if given the opportunity. And right now, it's probably, well, I don't think it's 50-50 today. I think that really moved the meter last night because, once again, the media wouldn't expose you know, journalism and journalistic integrity was not on full display. They weren't doing their job. But all of a sudden, Fetterman had to meet the public. And, and the public was like, wow, this guy is not well. I mean, this guy has some, some serious, serious issues. We should have known three months ago this guy was not well. We should have known three months ago this guy has serious, serious issues. But there is no journalism left. There is no journalistic integrity in existence. Because once again, the, the media is monolithic. It is a propaganda arm and a cheerleading section for the American political left. And abortion is a big part of that. Killing babies is kind of the epicenter of that political movement. Fetterman is a reliable vote. He said on the record that he thinks there should be no limits to when a woman can terminate her pregnancy. Let's go to the phone. Boudreaux in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Hello, Boudreaux. Gentlemen, uh, that, that last phone call gave my blood pressure medicine something to do. And every time I, y'all get a certain call from Orangeburg, I feel obligated to call and uh, balance things out. Just one time, just one time, I'd like him to hold somebody to hold his feet to the fire. I ain't going to call his name. But uh, about what he thinks about babies getting pulled apart at 34, 36 weeks, just once. I like his feet held to the fire about the people that actually did get killed at the Summer of Love riots promoted by Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Hold his feet to the fire about uh, illegal immigration. It's all Trump this, Trump that. Good God, I've never heard a bigger case of Trump derangement syndrome in my damn life. And I probably rub shoulders with this guy at Walmart down here. I mean, it's ridiculous. What about policies? If the people that stormed... I'll use their term, stormed the Capitol on January 6th, had wanted to kill people, by God, there had been people killed. And the only person that was killed was a conservative. But yet people really did die in, in Oregon and um, Philadelphia. And when all these riots took place uh, throughout that, the, the summer of 2020, um, it just... Ugh. I'm sorry. I had to rain. I don't normally talk to y'all like this, but good God Almighty, I'm glad I took my Lysenopril this morning because uh, I, I, 
So at some point, would you ever be able to, he's like nailing jello to a wall. Can you get him to talk about policies instead of vague nonsense? Thank you, Boudreaux. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. I think one of the interesting things that, um, that, that African-Americans grapple with, I mean, especially African-Americans who have historically voted Democrat, why are um, African-Americans beginning to vote more Republican? I mean, they, they had no interest in the Republican Party until Trump comes along. Once Trump comes along, the, the number of African-Americans, the percentage of African-Americans, and, and the percentage of Hispanics is almost 50-50. I mean, the Republicans in these midterm elections are going to win about 41, 42, 43 percent of the Hispanic vote. I mean, the, the African-American vote, with males in particular, have about doubled. African-American females still not as inclined to pull the lever or, or you know, mash the button on behalf of a Republican candidate. But to me, that's an interesting political story. The story of today is clearly what the Democrats are willing to do to win an election that they're willing to allow a man to be put on full display, cross their fingers, that he doesn't make too much of a fool of it. They have no interest in preserving the democracy. <laughs> I mean, they have no interest in doing Isn't the right thing. that kind of what they did with Biden? Sure it is. And I mean, every, time he, every time he goes out and talks in public without the teleprompter? Well, I, mean, I don't know if you saw this yesterday, but Biden said something about the seventh shot. You know, I mean, he's encouraging people. He said, I'm getting my seventh COVID vaccine. Well, I mean, if you had to get seven, it's not a vaccine. It's an annual treatment. It's a therapeutic. Um, it, it's not a vaccine. Vaccine implies immunity. If you got to get seven of them and one every year, it's simply not a vaccination. But you're right, Rev. I mean, it, it, it really plays into we don't care if Biden is half crazy. We don't care if he's, um, you know, on second base, rounding third in the world of dementia. As long as he's not a Republican, as long as he's not Trump, as long as he's not an America firster, as not as, as he's not promoting uh, the, the agendas of, of limiting abortions and, you know, reforming Social Security and Medicare, some of these serious issues that America needs to politically grapple, grapple with, that, that no, he's a dependable vote. It doesn't make a damn if he knows he's in the world or not. He's a reliable advocate for what we believe in. Get him in office some way, somehow. 843-661-0937. Take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Am I picking up even after last night's Fetterman-Oz debate that you're feeling even more optimistic well, I, mean, I felt optimistic going into last week. I really felt like this thing was really turning Um at the center of all this, I mean, I like to go all the way back to the beginning. I mean, in the beginning, there was modern monetary policy, modern monetary theory. And the Democrats believed that modern monetary theory was a viable way to fund and run the government. And now we're finding out via inflation and economic devastation that it just doesn't work. So this is really kind of a comeuppance for the Democrats. And some of the Republicans have kind of um, bought into that craziness of modern monetary theory. And as long as you're printing your own currency, it doesn't matter, doesn't affect, doesn't, uh, you have to not worry about debt and all these other sorts of nonsensical things. But yeah, but I, I'm feeling very optimistic today. For the first time in a long time, the state of Georgia, the odds of Walker winning are greater than 50%. The Trafalgar poll yesterday had Walker at 486 uh, Warnock at 46.2. Um, the Republican is going to overperform by somewhere between two and a half and three points. I mean, I believe that. Um, the Masters, I don't understand that. I mean, Kelly's an astronaut. 
I mean, Arizona's a swing state, so I guess, I mean, if I'm a Republican, I'm concerned about that. I think Blake Masters is the best candidate on our side. I mean, I do. I mean, I've listened and watched and studied and tried to learn and understand. I mean, he's a tealist, no doubt about it. He's an anti-interventionist, anti-globalist. He's a smart guy, highly educated, very much in tune with the America First agenda. Um, You know, Walker will be a dependable vote. We're talking about Fetterman being a dependable vote. I mean, nobody mistakes Herschel Walker for a policy wonk, right? I mean, he's a football hero. He's an authentic, real kind of guy. And I think he'll be a solid um, advocate for America first. But the frustration I have is the media of Pennsylvania and the political hierarchy of Pennsylvania, those in charge, owed it to the people of that state to engage and inform of exactly where Fetterman was and what his issues are. And a medical doctor provided a letter, said Fetterman's good, no problem here. The media kind of, you know, presented that doctor as validation of why they believe he's good. And the American people got to see last night, to some degree, the voters of Pennsylvania in particular, got a chance to see a guy who's in no shape to be a member of the Senate. No shape to be a member of the Senate. I told you during the break, I don't take any joy in that. I mean, I don't like to watch people publicly recover from a stroke. But, but I mean, this is what they asked for. And they're willing to roll the dice, once again, because he will abort babies at any point during a woman's pregnancy. And that's where the majority of Democrat leadership is. I don't know if that's where the majority of Democrat voters are, but that's where the majority of Democrat political leadership is. Abort a baby at any point during a woman's pregnancy. Fetterman has let it be known, I am that. He's in cognitive decline. He's in a bad state of mental. Um, I mean, he's, all of his answers are ambiguous and rambling and stumbling. And it was a little bit sad. I mean, you're right. It was a little bit sad to watch a grown man struggle with answering questions and trying to keep some sense of a coherence about. Um, but, but once again, the Democrats don't care. He's a dependable, reliable vote, no matter what his mental condition or capacities may be. Let's go to the phone. Eli in Marion. Good morning, Eli. Good morning. Um, I listen to you every morning with my mom on the way to school, and I really wish I was old enough to vote for Trump. Thank you. Appreciate that, Eli. Very kind of you. Um, is your mom making you listen, or do you want to listen? <laughs> Um, I want to listen. Okay, good deal, good deal. All right. Thanks, Eli. I appreciate that, my man. Have a great day on your way to school, and uh, thank you to Mom for um, not making but allowing Eli to listen. Wow, okay. we're uh, Every now and then something happens that, um, that, that gives you a little faith in humanity yeah. as we move forward. Thank you very much to Eli and to Mom. Um, Eli, don't talk like I do. Um, <laughs> listen to what I say. I think some of it makes sense, but clean up. The grammar, okay? <laughs> Do a better job of, of not abusing the Queen's English as yours truly um, has. Let's go to the phone. Uh, up next is Jason and Marion. Hi, Jason. Good morning, fellas. Ken, you were just talking about the Arizona race, and I, I maybe, maybe you're kind of um, missing this other aspect um, of that Senate race, but you also have on that ticket um, a governor race and Terry Lake. And she's outperforming the Democrat, but, I mean, obviously there's no um, uh, libertarian on that. But, I mean, she's a firecracker, and, boy, she can really hand it to those reporters and stuff. But I think if a lot of the voters in Arizona just go ahead and vote straight Republican down the ticket, I think Blake Masters is going to outperform better than what even the polls are saying. 
Thank you, Jason. I mean, you're right on it. I mean, Lake's a better candidate than Masters. I mean, she's she's a charismatic, photogenic, um, firebrand. I mean, yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of – Carrie Lake might be the best candidate in the Republicans' column this year. I mean, she really and truly might be. And if you think about it, Carrie Lake is one of the Republicans that the Democrats funded because they found her to be extreme. And she's out there. And the, uh, the moderate and independent voter of Arizona will not vote for Carrie Lake. She's going to wipe the floor. Now, Carrie Lake has the luxury of running against a, uh, a lousy and not-so-smart woman. I mean, seriously, I mean, if, if you heard her, um, I'm trying to think of the lady's name. She's just, um, uh, anyway, she's Rust. not, yeah, she's not very impressive. I mean, she's not impressive at all. She refused to debate Carrie Lake. Um, but once again, she's a reliable vote. And um, if Arizona wants to work through some of this legislation affecting some of the voting integrity that some of these swing states are trying to address, um, she's going to side with the Center for Tech and Civic Life and some of the Soros-funded entities and enterprises. Carrie Lake is just a good candidate. I mean, she really and truly does a great job of turning it around, firing back at the media. She's always prepared. Now, now once again, she is charismatic. She is photogenic. Never underestimate those very shallow and unique qualities of American politics. Uh, you normally do fairly well when that is uh, the case. Masters can be wonkish. I mean, I've told Rev this. Masters can be the guy that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Um, he, he's just not hes not easy to listen to. I mean, I think he's highly competent. I think he's unbelievably diligent. I mean, he ran the Peter Thiel Foundation. That gives me enough, um, you know, reason to be supportive because I'm kind of a Thielist in concept and uh, as it relates to ideology and, and idealism. I mean, I'm kind of in the Thiel camp kind of this anti-China, anti-globalist, anti-interventionist mindset. Blake Masters is very much that, but Blake Masters just simply is not as good a candidate as Kerry Lake is. Lake, once again, is appealing and attractive to voters. Masters, not so much. Now, now I'm not saying I think Masters loses. I think Masters is going to win. I just wish she had a bigger lead. I mean, he's about a point and a half, two points down, and, um, and I think in the betting odds, he's at about 48%. It's 52-48, so it's kind of a toss-up there. But, um, but, but it, it is, Oz had a break last night. The voters of Pennsylvania got to see Fetterman, and he's not who the media told them he was. The national and state media has done everything they can do to run interference and run cover for John Fetterman. Last night, a certain percentage of the voters of Pennsylvania got to see in the first person a, 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 a deeply disturbing man on a stage asking for their vote when he didn't have the ability to put coherent thoughts in place. And, and I could play these all day long. I mean, I'm texting with my friends. And at one point in time, somebody said, hey, man, this makes me sad. And I said, well, I mean, it, it, it is sad. I mean, it's sad to watch a man struggle as he did, but it's dangerous how, how the Republicans, excuse me, the Democrats are willing to put him out there and let him make a fool of himself because they know if he hangs on and wins, he'll give them permission to abort babies in, you know, whatever point during a woman's pregnancy. Do we have another clip? Let's play another clip of um, John Fetterman last night at the Pennsylvania senatorial debate. The May primary. Last week, you released this note from your doctor saying you can work full duty in public office, but you have not released your detailed medical records surrounding your stroke. 
Mr. Fetterman, will you pledge tonight to release those records in the interest of transparency? You have 60 seconds. Uh, uh, to me, for transparency is about showing up. I'm here today to have a debate. I have... You know, spe speeches in front of 3,000 people in Montgomery County, you know, all across Pennsylvania, big, big crowds. You know, I believe if my doctor believes that I'm fit to serve and, and that's what I believe is appropriate. And now with two weeks before the election, you know, I have run a campaign and I've been very transparent about being very open about the fact we're in use captioning. And I believe that, again, my doctors, the real doctors that I believe in, they all believe that I'm ready to be served. Follow up. I didn't hear you say you would release your full medical records. Why not? You have 30 seconds. No, uh, yeah, again, my Dr. L believes that I'm fit to be serving, and that's what I believe is where I'm standing. Okay. Mr. Oh, that, this is rambling. I mean, it's incoherent. It's nothingness. I mean, there, there's nothing there. I mean, he's, he's asking to be a member of the Senate. I mean, the Senate is responsible for making monumental decisions. This guy will vote on the next Supreme Court justice if he's allowed to be a member of the U.S. Senate, and he's in no state to do that. Two or three or four years from now? We may have a, a comeback story. I mean, the guy may, um, you know, get his wits back about him. He may recover fully from the stroke. But, but once again, the Democrats are willing to let this guy make an absolute fool of himself and a fool of the process. It's an insult to the political process in America. And how many Democrats complained about the way Trump debated and some of the antics, some of the strategies employed, some of the nonsensical things we had to listen and put up with? I've never heard anything, and I watched the entirety last night. I watched it from start to finish, and it went from being bizarre to sad to alarming to disturbing to dangerous, and I ended up in dangerous because, once again, he will allow the aborting of babies up until the baby is born. That's why he's there. Please understand with clarity that's why John Fetterman is on that debate stage. His wife allowed him to go out there. His loved ones, I guess, uh, allowed and agreed to put him out there. But the DNC, the Democrat National Committee, said he's our best shot in Pennsylvania to flip that state blue. I don't care how big a fool he makes of himself when we need him to vote on legislation that allows a woman to have an abortion at any point during her pregnancy we can count on him to be there. Let's roll the dice. Let's cross our fingers. Let's put him out there. And let's hope not a lot of people watch. And he could care less if a conservative radio show in South Carolina is trying to shine a light on it. But but a lot of liberal pundits were tweeting during the um the debate, wow, I mean, this isn't going well. Now, now some were like, he's fine. I mean, he's sluggish. He's slow. He's doing this. But, but you know, some of the liberals try to make the biggest story of the night, um, Oz will not agree, or excuse me, Oz will not say that Lindsey Graham's federal legislation about abortion, see, that's what makes me angry with Lindsey. I mean, that really became part of the Pennsylvania debate last night. The, the conservatives have argued for a half century that states should have the authority to regulate and, and stipulate when a woman can have an abortion, when they can't. We have Rick and Bob Jordan and Lowe in here every Friday. We've heard them struggle and grapple as South Carolina legislatures or legislators with what needs to be done, what, what doesn't need to be done. Um, but now all of a sudden, Lindsey is given the, to me, the Democrats are talking point. Conceptually, I understand what Lindsey's doing. I mean, the 15 week, I mean, I, I get that. I mean, I think conceptually that, that, that sound legislation, but we argued 
that the fallacy of Roe v. Wade was the federal government shouldn't dictate what, what states should. And now we're back defending a Republican's idea of federal legislation influencing what states can or cannot do in abortion-related matters. Bad move. Um, and that one's on Lindsey. I mean, he's our senator, but that one's on Lindsey because, once again, that put Oz at a kind of a complicated position. And I like what Oz said. He said, I am for no federal legislation that usurps the authority of the state. The states should regulate when and when a woman cannot have an abortion. I stand by the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the Dobbs decision. Take a break. Back in a minute. You know, we complain about the voter a lot. I do. I mean, the voter's not informed. The voter doesn't pay attention. The voter's watching Seinfeld. The voter should be paying uh, attention to things more important and, and affect their lives. But at the end of the day, everybody has a BS meter. I mean, some are skeptical and cynical by nature. Um, some, like yours truly, are contrarians by nature. Um, but we all have this ability, this keen um, sense of awareness. And you choose to be aware of certain, I mean, you prioritize certain things you're aware of. I mean, I'm far more aware of Gamecock football right now than I was last year because they're winning and it's more fun. So, so I'll go to um, some of the websites and message boards a lot more now than I did, but, but I'm always aware. We're, we're always aware of our surroundings to some degree, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. And I think the reason the Democrats are having a problem is people are looking back at what they said during the pandemic and they were terribly misled. I mean, whether they get worked up about it and put Facebook posts out and and then, you know, call it a radio show or not, there's a still I mean, there's a sensibility that human beings have to know when they're being taken advantage of. I mean, there's there's a percentage that don't. I mean, they they just they're, they're not aware. They're oblivious. They're uh, dingbats and knuckleheads. I mean, they just don't pay any attention. But that's a small percentage. I mean, we all have some degree of knucklehead or dingbat. And us, but but the majority of us have kind of a sensibility that understands. Um, wow, everything they said during the pandemic, or very little they said during the pandemic, turned out to be true. I mean, they told me if I got this shot, I wouldn't get the um the virus. I got the shot, I got the virus. Now they're telling me if I get this other shot, you know, I won't get the virus. Well, I got the other shot, and I still got uh, the virus again. And now they're telling me I got to get seven shots. Well, we don't post on Facebook about it. We don't call into radio shows about it. But the majority of Americans say, ah, something doesn't sound right there, man. I mean, something just doesn't. And then you begin saying, you, you start to associate blame. And you'll see Joe Biden. And you'll see Nancy Pelosi. And you'll see Chuck Schumer. And you'll say, I don't trust the word they say. I mean, I didn't post, I didn't post about it on Facebook. I didn't call into a radio show. But I don't trust a word Joe Biden says. I don't trust a word Anthony Fauci says. I don't believe anything that stroke-faced Nancy Pelosi says. I just don't. Um, and, and I think that's really what's coming home. I think that rooster is coming home to roost, so to speak. I think the American public um, were told that inflation would be transitory. You know, the, the, the COVID vaccine would save lives and change our world, and kids could learn virtually just like they were learning in classrooms. And all of a sudden, everything they were told was a lie. I mean, we're talking about the big lie. You know, the Democrats argued the big lies, Trump, you know, the, the election was stolen. No, the big lie has been nearly everything the, the Democrats supporting bureaucrats in Washington and in state capitals all over the country espouse this truth and reality. 
And, and I think the American public, I mean, in their in their subconscious probably, said, I'm going to try something different here. I mean, I, I'm not, once again, I, I'm not an activist. I don't volunteer at campaigns. I don't make contributions. But I know that everything I was told for the last three, four, five years hasn't come to fruition. Inflation was not transitory. I mean, the kids' education sucks. We really didn't have any business shutting down rivers and lakes and, and schools and all the to- I mean, we should have never done that. Once again, they're not real politically motivated, and they're not going to make a scene like some of us will. But they're inclined to be uh, understanding of the world around them. And I think everything the Democrats, everything the bureaucrats have told them has turned out to be untrue. Now, now you can debate whether they were honest mistakes or not, whether there was um, nefarious intent or not, whether there was a, um, you know, a, 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 an alternative message or not. I mean, we can debate that forever. But, but the reality is the, the, the American people collectively in all these states are saying to themselves as they prepare to cast a ballot, uh, that crowd just lied, man. I mean, everything they said turned out to be untrue. Um, the Democrats say Biden's okay. And, and, the, and the public sees Biden on television. You say, he's not okay. There's no way that guy's okay. Take a break. Back in a minute. I hope the last segment made sense. Now, once again, I'm not insinuating nor suggesting that they were intentionally misled. They don't know if they were intentionally or accidentally misled. They just know they were misled. And I'm talking about the Seinfeld watching crowd. I mean, it's all of a sudden election time. They're beginning to see and hear things about midterms, the control of the Senate and House and uh, Joe Biden. So, so all of a sudden, that Seinfeld watching crowd, who really and truly don't pay much attention other than two weeks out of a midterm or gubernatorial elections, uh, the presidential cycle, all of a sudden they begin, and you're right, Red, we talked during the break, subconsciously they say to themselves, who told me inflation was transitory? Who told me Biden was okay? It's obvious inflation is not transitory. It's not obvious Biden's not okay. And they begin to kind of um, make an assessment. And the assessment leads to voting for one party or another. This would be the independent-minded voter. And when you look at the polling, I mean, it's crystal clear. When it comes to the, um, who told me crime was not a big problem? I mean, every night I turn the television on, and there's somebody getting thrown in front of a, a subway car, stabbed or beaten or robbed or whatever. And um, I don't know if you heard this last night, but Hochul in New York said, you know, all my opponent wants to do is talk about crime, you know, and keeping criminals locked up. Yeah, <laughs> duh. Yeah. I mean, you better believe. Kind of important. But, but the, the point I'm trying to make is, once again, the universe is this big. It's as big as a um, the universe of um, politically astute observers is the size of a uh, grapefruit. And all of a sudden, it gets the size of a beach ball. And then it gets the size of a, I mean, it, it's, it's big now. It's bigger than it ever is. Because once again, uh, we're advertising political campaigns. We're talking about political races. We're talking about control and balance of power in the Senate and House. And, and the, you know, the, the, the grapefruit is turned into something 100 times that big. And the the Seinfeld watcher is not all of a sudden going to NashReview.com. They're not going to, you know, Salon.com. They're, they're, they're kind of instinctively going to self-calculate. And they're going to say, okay, um, I remember somebody saying that virtual learning would be just as good as in-class teaching. I remember somebody saying that if I got that vaccine, I wouldn't get the virus. I remember somebody saying if I got the vaccine, I wouldn't transmit the virus. I remember somebody saying I get it, needed to get another shot and then another shot and then another shot. I remember somebody telling me that Joe Biden was just fine. 
Well, I just I hadn't seen much of Biden, but I just watched him on on uh, CNBC, and he didn't look good at all. I mean, he looked like a a frail, out of touch man. And they begin to kind of once again self assess, self calculate. That's why independents are overwhelmingly breaking uh, in Republicans' favor because the Democrats are in charge. Democrat president, Democrat speaker, Democrat majority leader in the Senate. That's who they're going to blame. Now, once again, they're not going to calculate whether they were intentionally or accidentally misled. They just know they were misled, and they know their life is a little more difficult and complicated because of that misleading, and they're going to take it out on the party that they um, they don't find out this watching Seinfeld, but but all of a sudden, okay, I'm a little more aware and informed and, and in tune. Those guys were the ones who probably lied to me more than anybody else did. Let's go to the phone. Lily in Florence. Good morning, Lily. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to say that I think that there are a lot more black women that are voting Republican this year. Um, I did not ever really identify with a party per se, but the things that's going on in the Democratic Party turns my stomach and makes me want to vomit. So there is no other choice but to go with what is going to protect our families and protect our livelihoods, and that's with the Republican Party. And I think that there are a lot more women that feel the way that I feel. Um, we're not expressing it. And this was very hard for me to even make this phone call, but um, I think that that is happening a lot more than what people know. Thank you. Appreciate the call. Appreciate the courage to call in. Um, that's always interesting to me. We think we know who you are. Rev does a good job of letting me know how we did with twelve with males twelve and over. How do we, how we did with males thirty five and over? How we did with males thirty five to fifty four, making seventy five thousand dollars a year. I mean that's kind of our bread and butter, right? I mean we believe that's who's listening, but it always. I mean, it, it, it lifts me up. It inspires me. It encourages me when someone calls in out of our typical demo and says something like Lily just did. I mean, that makes me want to do a better job. I mean, it, it really and truly does. It makes me kind of recommit myself to better engaging an audience. Um, I don't want to say better informing an audience. I don't know. It's my job to inform an audience. I've got an opinion. You've got an opinion. We give a phone number. I mean, I give my opinion before we give the number. You give yours after you accept the number and, and call in. Um, but, but the data is pretty empirical, and it shows that African-Americans and Hispanics, for whatever reason, I mean, I would imagine there's a variety of reasons, are beginning to give this America First agenda the benefit of the doubt. It's a baby. I mean, we don't know how effective it eventually becomes in a governing philosophy. Um, it's hard to be against America first, right? I, I told I my buddy so. yesterday, I rode to a funeral yesterday with a good friend of mine. And, um, and we were talking about politics and the midterms and, I mean, he knows I keep up with it. And he says, Hey, uh, I listened to yesterday. Is that for show or do you really believe? I said, no, I think the Republicans are going to win the Senate. I mean, I, you know, I look at some of the macros and micro trends and I think they're going to win, um, the Senate. So when you read the data and when you try to digest and understand the data, and you say, okay, why are more Hispanics and, and African-Americans voting for a Republican Party that is led by the guy the media has said is the most racist president in the history of mankind? I mean, you can't put that square peg in that round hole. Once again, the tyrannical do-gooder. 
Who is that? The white, affluent, educated liberal. I mean, that's the person who has the most seats in the room, the loudest or, or the, the, the best ability to give their opinion. I mean, it would be the white, I mean, normally a Northeasterner, not always, but normally, uh, but it would be a white, affluent, educated liberal. I mean, that, that's the guy that believes he has the right and authority and is best suited to organize society as he sees fit. So when he says, and the majority of newsrooms are full of these kind of people, the majority of um, academia is full of these kinds of people. So when these people together and collectively say that Trump is a racist, I mean, they expect that to be accepted by all. Once again, they are the tyrannical do-gooders. They're doing this for everybody else. We don't know how fortunate and blessed we are to have these white, educated, fluent liberals in charge of the world of which disperses information and news and debate and dialogue. And it basically decides who gets to speak and who doesn't. You know, what you get to speak about and what you don't get to speak about. Um, I would imagine the media in Pennsylvania are largely white, affluent, educated liberals. They were the ones that said Fetterman's okay. Until a, a black family, a Hispanic family, and a white family turned the TV on in Pennsylvania, and, and all of them at the same time say, that guy's not okay. But there's no way that guy's okay. That guy's got some serious, serious issues. And, and that's the, the problem. That's where the Democrats have gotten themselves, Rev. There is no resistance. There is no challenging to the narrative. Um, everybody's kind of sort of on the same team. And then you get these African-Americans who say, I don't care what the media says. I don't, I don't like all those wars. I mean, the war disproportionately affects minorities and poor people, right? I mean, how many senators' sons die in war? How many members of Congress have kids that died in Iraq and Afghanistan? I mean, there may be one, but, but you know, it's the exception, not the norm. So the America First agenda, once again, led by the most racist president in the history of mankind, right? I mean, that's what the media says. Mm -hmm. That's what the tyrannical do-gooders say. Um, the, 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 the narrative, and they try to back into the game. So they start the game by saying minorities are fleeing the Republican Party because of the racist personality that is Donald Trump. But then the, the data says, no, they aren't. In fact, they're being drawn into the Republican Party. They're giving the Republican Party further consideration. It's just it's counterintuitive. The, the media says one thing while the truth is something completely and totally different. Um, I, I looked at 538 this morning to see if Nate Silver updated his, um, you know, the models he runs of the likelihood of Republicans or Democrats being in charge of the U.S. Senate. I can't imagine how hard it is for Nate Silver to change that number, but he'll have to. I mean, he wants to maintain some sense of credibility. I mean, he's got right now, the Democrats have a 55% chance of winning the Senate. The Republicans a 45% chance of winning the Senate. That's just not true. It's at least 50-50. There is no way in this world you can this morning say that there's a better chance the Democrats hold control of the Senate than the Republicans. I mean, the, the data just clearly shows. I went back and looked last night. Uh, I'm multitasking here while I'm, while I'm talking. I want to make sure I get this right. Um, let's do this real quick. Um, this is a 13-day to election day. Um, I, I don't want to call it. What, what, what you would call this is not polling. Well, it is polling. It's a collection of polling and another collection of data. And then it says um, the projections of what we can expect in um, – in 13 days, um, juxtaposed to some of the polling underestimates. 
Uh, remember I say somewhere between two and a half, three points. It's probably two and a half to three and a half points is how much better. Um, so we, we go to the RCP average. So today, as we speak, despite the events of last night, because uh, we hadn't had a new poll. We got some of the exit polling, some of the instantaneous polling, online polling. But Fetterman right now is plus 1.3. I mean, that's the RCP average in the aggregate polling. Um, in 20, the Democrat was plus 4.9. Um, the GOP was underestimated by four percentage points. If that holds true, if that, I don't want to call it an algorithm, but if that set of data holds true, the Republicans win Pennsylvania. Let's go to um, Nevada. Laxalt is up eight-tenths of one percent. Um, the polls underestimated the Democrat by 1.5 points. So, you know, you got generic ballots here, generic, the Republicans up 1.7. Uh, anyway, when you, when you adjust all of this data, all this information, that is going to be a GOP pickup. Now, now, once again, that's one of the few states, it is the only state of the swing states that the, um, the polls underestimated the Democrat vote. Have no idea why that's the case, but it's a reality. So let's go to Arizona. Here's a little bit encouraging to me. This is this kind of breathes life in the in the teal list in me. So in Arizona, um, RCP average has Kelly two plus two point five. Um, in twenty twenty, the Democrat was plus three point two. In twenty eighteen, the Republican was up one half of one percent. Um, but but in Arizona, the the Republican candidate is underestimated by three point seven percentage points. That means that's a GOP pickup. So they've got the Republican holding in Pennsylvania. They've got the GOP picking up Nevada and Arizona. And then you get down to Georgia. Um, it's really a dead heat. Under any circumstance and condition, it looks like there's going to be a December 6th runoff between Herschel Walker and, and Warnoff because nobody's going to get to 50%. Therefore, um, I mean, I don't think this will be the case because I think the Republicans will have won enough seats by the day or two or three after. I mean, Pennsylvania, we may know the winner. No, we may have the Georgia runoff before we know the winner in Pennsylvania. And remember this, uh, Republicans, the longer it takes, the more likely it is the Democrat wins. I mean, I saw a um, kind of an argument. It was, um, it was algorithmic in nature, but I saw an argument where the number of minutes delayed from getting the total votes counted gives the Democrat a uh, a proportional percentage of increase hmm. in winning. How does that work? I mean, it, it's real interesting. It's Georgia and Pennsylvania in particular. <laughs> but if, but if you know, okay. if you're supposed to know, if the polls close at 7 and we know by 8.30, then the Republican has a good chance to win. If the polls close at 7 and we don't know until 9.30, the Republicans' chances begin to decline. And if it becomes 10 and 10.30 and 11, and there's some point like 12.17 that the Republican has no chance to win, no matter how bad they may have won or looked like they were winning, and that is only in Pennsylvania and Georgia. Now, once again, I'm not in Pennsylvania. I'm not in Georgia. I have no idea what happens when they begin counting ballots um, and recounting ballots and recounting ballots or maybe casting ballots, you know, after the elections or over, but we may we may have the twelve six runoff in Georgia before we know the winner in Pennsylvania. Um, look for a big delay in making the announcement of who wins and who doesn't win in Pennsylvania. Kind of like a Haley theory. 
You know, if you're if a Republican wins in Pennsylvania, you better you better win by more than three percentage points because there's that much shenanigans in Philadelphia. Let's go to the phone, Jeff in Florence. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, good morning, hey Jeff. Um, hey, uh, so just just on that note, as far as the uh, delayed results coming in, um, you do you do realize that these large cities um, have a logistic challenge that rural America doesn't face, right? Sure, I do. Yeah, I mean, like, in Florence, how often do you stand in the line to vote? Well, they had over a 1,000 vote yesterday. I think uh, a buddy of mine stood in line about 40 minutes. Okay. But in Georgia, what does that look like on election day? I have no idea. Never been there. Six hours. You know, if somebody has to stand in line that. for six hours to vote, then shame on the city of, shame on Fulton County for not having enough precincts open. Well, it really comes to Democrat leadership is really what it boils down to. The Democrat-led cities and municipalities always have an issue with voting. Very seldom do the Republican-led cities have an issue. It's always the cities run by Democrats. Yeah. No, it happens in Houston. Uh, But either way, uh, there is a logistic issue there with voting, and they should make uh, voting day a holiday. Uh, would you agree with that? Well, I'll agree with that. And, and let's, have, yeah. let's have more and more people vote that day. Yeah. Um, so earlier I heard you talking, uh, you know, about Fetterman uh, versus Oz and Oz, uh, you know, clearly having some issues. And how could anybody look at that and not report on it? Can I have, do you see a parallel between him and Herschel Walker? No, not at all. Right, because Oz can recover. You're talking about Fetterman. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Fetterman can recover from his uh, situation. Herschel Walker cannot. What is Herschel Walker's situation? Well, I, I mean, after he's dead and, and they dissect his brain, they'll find the CTE that uh, most football players will end up with. Okay, that's a that's a pretty random yeah, observation. Very presumptive. Yeah, that's, that's not real. a random observation. What you're, what you're basically saying, he's, 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 he's a, no, here's what you're saying. You won't say it. He's a dumb black guy because he's a Republican. He's an Uncle Tom no. because he's a Republican. You won't say that, but that's exactly what you're insinuating, that if he were a smart no, black not, guy, he would I'm do what the rest the do, and medical, he would be a Democrat. Okay, I'm saying the man has a medical issue. Based okay. on what, Jeff? I mean, what do you Dr. make that Dr. assumption Jeff. on? Based on what? Have you not heard him give a speech? Sure, I met Herschel in college and had a 20-minute conversation with him. College? Or are you are you making that? I mean, you're, you're you're saying that Walker has a mental condition, or excuse me, has a medical condition based on what? That's the point I'm arguing. I mean, what what are you basing based that on? What? Honestly, you 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 have no idea about concussion damage. To sure, I do. Absolutely, I do. I mean, is this catching you off guard? No, not at all. Okay, and and when you hear Herschel Walker Walker speak, when you hear his wife's account of what would happen to him, when you hear his coaches talk about how different he is, and you see the history of NFL players with mental illness, violence, cognitive decline because of the injuries they suffered playing football, you that's that, in a vacuum. You don't see that. 
I've not heard a single medical evaluation say that Walker has is mentally impaired because of the results of concussion. There's not a single doctor that I've heard evaluate his condition and suggest that he is a man impaired cognitively because of his days of playing a football. Okay. I mean, I've heard you say that, but I've heard nobody with, with any medical credentials say that. Right. Discount his son. Discount his wife. Discount his coaches. No, I'm not discounting his coaches at all. Don't you love this classic whataboutism, though? This was this was a call about oh, Fetterman, I, I, and we were talking about Fetterman, well, he, and you're but, like, but well, what about Herschel? No, Jeff can't defend Fetterman. I mean, the, the, right. the truth is out now. Oh. We know the guy is mentally impaired. We know that. Now, he may get better. He may not get better, but he's not running for the Senate in six years. He's running for the Senate in 13 days, and he's a guy that doesn't know where he is half of the time, and you're trying to compare that to Herschel Walker. That is quite the reach, but but I get it. I mean, it looks like it looks like the Republicans are going to roll over the Democrats in 13 days, and you never expected that because we nominated all these fringe candidates, all these extremist candidates, and it looks like Walker's going to win. It looks like Oz is going to win. It looks like Laxalt's going to win. It looks like Masters has a chance to win. You didn't see that coming, so we're going to change the subject and topic and talk about what Walker may or may not have as a result of having played football. Just to be clear, you've seen a doctor say that John Fetterman doesn't know where he is? You've seen a doctor? No, I saw that, but I, I believe my own eyes. I mean, I, I watched the entirety of the debate last night, and it was a sad, bizarre, strange, unfortunate set of circumstances. And, and seeing Herschel Walker talk, you don't feel the same thing? No. Well, you got some rose-colored glasses on. No, no not at all. I mean, it, 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 I, I, there's no comparison to what Walker's performance was in the debate. Most people believe Walker won the debate against Warnock. Yeah, I'm sure you think that. No, no, I said <laughs> most people believe that Walker won the debate against Warnock. Not me. Uh, I, there, there were three polls conducted independently in Georgia. Walker won two of the three. It, 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 it's just, um, you know, that was was funny to me that you're you know i i did want to point those things out and they do have parallels i, I hope you can see that um i did want to talk to you 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 were also talking about abortion earlier hey jeff and jeff, jeff, jeff 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 yes. we, we got to get i mean we got um nope. oh, you're we, good no no we, we got we got tanya at eight thirty. um call back after eight thirty. i don't want to cut you off and i mean that um, you you add variety to the show, and I appreciate. It. I told Red this morning before I said I hope Jeff calls at some point this morning so we can debate some of these issues. But we've got to take a break so we can be, get back. And um and Tanya J, we just got to be on time for these Fox News guests. I hope you understand that. But please either hold on or call back, and the floor will be all yours. I promise. Take a break. Back in a minute. We got all jammed up a second ago. <laughs> we had Tanya scheduled at eight thirty. Tanya said she couldn't stay until eight thirty five. We didn't get out of the break until 8.27. The break takes six minutes. Tanya wasn't going to be with us for two minutes. We couldn't have, we didn't have long enough time. I apologize to Jeff. I apologize to Freehold. I apologize to Tanya, despite her not being able to hear me for really screwing that moment up. I feel kind of like John Fetterman, not knowing exactly what to do or what to say in that, uh, in that moment. Getting some text here a second ago from a listener who said, you know, having bad grammar is not indicative of a mental uh, disability. Uh, Herschel is a country boy. I can relate. Um, he's from the rural uh, backdrops of Georgia. Um, and I think to make an observation, with all due respect, of what you think may or may not be wrong with Herschel Walker, 
Uh, if there is anything, if there's wrong. anything I mean, wrong with him, I have no I've idea. Never thought that. I mean, Herschel just put it on the table. I mean, he's, he's battled some issues in his right. life with mental illness, and um, other than what he said, I mean, I haven't jumped to any conclusions myself. Well, and I, I've listened to Herschel debate a couple of times, and once again, I went to Colleton County, and uh, there's a mutual friend, and George Rogers was actually down there, and they were talking about Heisman. It was kind of a fundraiser, fun thing. Um, connecting George and Herschel together. I think they maintained a pretty good friendship from their days at Carolina and Georgia. Um, and they're both Heisman Trophy winners, so there's some um, some synergy there. But uh, but I talked to Walker for 20 minutes. And, I, I mean, he's a country boy like I am. Um, I'm not dumb. I mean, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm not dumb. Uh, I do talk in a way that some would – I don't know if he knows what he's talking about or not. Well, I mean, just keep believing that, and I'll get all your money. Um <laughs> But, but, I mean, Walker's a reflection of rural America. I mean, he, th- there's some grammatical mistakes he makes. There's some um, pronunciation that he doesn't get quite right. But don't ever equate that with mental disability or being dumb. I just don't buy that for a second. Um, I found Walker to be very authentic, very real. Um, wh- what he knows about government, I don't have any idea. I mean, I don't think anybody's mistaken Herschel Walker for Blake Masters or J.D. Vance. I mean, they're academically accomplished, Right. I mean, Walker is a is a football hero turned political activist that bought into this America first. And I think he had a pre-existing relationship with Donald Trump because of the New Jersey generals. Um, but, but I, you know, I'm not willing to say, here's what, I'm not a doctor. I don't know what's wrong with Fetterman. But I watched an hour of debate last night, and something is. I mean, that's what I'll say. I mean, he had a stroke. The doctor said he is recovering on schedule as a result of the stroke. The man I watched last night for an hour has no no business as a member of the U.S. Senate, period. Now, the people of Pennsylvania have that right. And if they want to vote for somebody that, that I have concerns about or, or consternation with, that's certainly their prerogative. They're certainly entitled to make that decision. But the guy I saw last night struggle to put coherent sentences together has no business right now being in the U.S. Senate. I've not seen that from Herschel Walker. I mean, you can criticize Herschel for all you want to. I mean, you talk about mental illness and, you know, is is this kid telling the truth? Is this woman about abortion telling the truth? I mean, I hate to say it, but that's fair game in politics. I wish it weren't, but it is. I mean, we've decided that American politics is a blood sport, and, you know, if you bludgeon somebody, uh, there's a reason campaigns negative advertised. It works. So when you not just tell somebody how great you are, but how bad your opponent is, there's some value there. So I'll let the people of Georgia decide, you know, what Walker did or did not do, what his capacities are or are not. But, um, but, but, and I'm not making a medical evaluation on John Fetterman. I'm making a very personal evaluation of a guy I watched last night for an hour struggle mightily to try and put coherent sentences together. And we replayed a couple of those bad grammar doesn't mean mental disability. Let's go to the phone. Neil and Sumter listening to WDXY. Hi, Neil. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, I didn't watch that debate last night, but, uh, but based on what I've seen at Fetterman, I would say that uh, you know, his politics indicate that he's got some screws loose already because uh, the, his, his views on the world are just pretty pretty messed up. Uh, when, he, when you're left of Bernie, you've got some problems to start with. Uh, but what I wanted to call about, uh, we, we happened to see Tucker last night uh, for just a few minutes, and he was interviewing the Kentucky University of Kentucky swimmer who finished second in the women's swimming to the boy who she had to swim against for the national title. And she made a really keen observation. Apparently uh, Biden was talking with some hip 
TikToker who's transitioning says he's you know from becoming a from being a, a male to becoming a female and talking about all these female issues and things he that she has to go through or he has to go through anyway it's, it's confusing as the Dickens but the Kentucky girl said something that was very poignant and I think it's something that is going to come to the surface of that debate uh, as far as how we go forward as a society and she said that a man going around acting like a girl and pretending he's got all the same issues and is going through the same things as a girl is akin to blackface. And that, that just punched me. Uh, that just hit me. I, I had never seen it put so succinctly, you know, we're so intolerant of a white person running around acting like they're a black person. Why are we tolerating boys running around acting like they're girls and doing all the cliched things that they perceive is womanhood? Um, so, just throw that in your bag of tricks. Watch for that one to, to percolate up and become a, a term that we start talking about here over the next year and a half or two years if the, uh, if the women's rights movement really does truly embrace women's rights. Thank you, Neil. Appreciate that. I actually saw some of that. And, and there's a Matt Walsh video. He's a podcaster extraordinaire. I've got a lot of followers, big audience. We'll be able to try to dig that out in a second. But Walsh is at a college campus, and, and, and he's, a, he's approached by someone who is transitioning. And you can tell the person is confused and, and I mean, it's almost like it's, it's one of these on mental breakdowns happening right before your very eyes. And Walsh does a phenomenal job of, of breaking that down and explaining some of the ins and out do's and don'ts. Here's the problem, guys, and Neil knows this, and the majority of you know this. We're not debating transgenderism or gender mutilation because they don't have any merit. So this goes back to the monolith. I mean, this goes back to the cathedral. The cathedral makes his mind up that transgenderism is to be um, legitimized, is to be normalized. And and anybody who has a contrasting view or an alternate point of view is disallowed from participating in the debate or conversation. That's the issue with the American political left. That's my biggest issue with the left. I have no problem debating Jeff on whatever issue. And I'll applaud Jeff for calling in and standing his ground. I mean, we disagree, and I think he misrepresents things, but I would imagine he thinks I misrepresent certain things. I think he spins things out of the um, so far out of whack, but I would imagine he thinks I spin things too far out of whack. I get that. But, but we live in a world now where we're disallowing debate, and because a group of people says transgenderism deserves to be normalized, we shut down anybody who doesn't share that opinion. Gender mutilation, sex change operations, those can't stand. I mean, the, the merit of gender neutral, excuse me, gender cha, gender identity within people under the age of 16, what I call minor sex change operations, you can't normalize that. That's bizarre. That's crazy. That's nonsense. But, but if somebody on the left is forced to defend it, it's obvious how nonsensical it is, how illegitimate it is. So instead of having that debate, let's shut it down. And if somebody does not share that point of view, if they don't share that liberal perspective, then they're not allowed to engage in this particular debate. I am, I am well, I mean, I, I am so equipped right now to debate gender mutilation with minors or transgenderism with teenagers, but we can't because we're not allowed to have that debate. That's totalitarianism. That's censorship. That's fine. I mean, there are a lot of different words that you can inject there. That's what happens when people are in control of the conversation, become so monolithic in nature. The media is 90% liberal. Academia is 90% liberal. 
The 10% are afraid to speak their mind for fear of losing their jobs. We know that to be the case. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's identifiable. I mean, academia is more liberal than it's ever been. The media is more liberal than it's ever been. And, and when liberals make their mind up that gender mutilation is to be normalized, anybody of dissent is to be dealt with. And the way you deal with them is label them extremist. And Tucker said it last night, and I think he's on to something. Extremism gets to be defined by a group of people who share a monolithic view of the world and dole out punishment consistent with what they perceive the danger or threat of extremism to eventually be. That should scare the hell out of everybody listening to my voice. And this time of the year, it kind of does. Why? Because we're not watching Seinfeld. I mean, we're two weeks to an election. So the 50 weeks we watch Seinfeld, we turn the channel every now and then to a news station. We read a political report. We listen to a radio show. We become somewhat more aware of some of these conversations that we must have even while watching our 25th soup Nazi episode of <laughs> or the 25th time we've seen the soup Nazi episode of Seinfeld. It's a good episode. Take a break. Back in a minute. You know, we're talking about bad grammar and mental disabilities and how smart someone is or not. I was just thinking about it right before we went on the air. There was this gentleman that I did business with that would always say, I knowed. You know, not, <laughs> not I knew, I knowed. Sort of going had about, I knowed he had $50 million in the bank. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so, so but, but it was always like, I mean, we do it. We, 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 I don't know. I think we do humanity a disservice in trying to equate our command of the language and how smart someone is. Is or is I mean, not. Didn't, didn't your hero, Bob Dylan, write a song with the word node in it? Yeah, and sold the collection for $350 million. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that, that same song had the word iffin in it. Node and iffin. <laughs> iffin and Make perfect sense to me. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, let's go to the vault. Jim and Florence. Morning, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. So my, uh, my three-year-old son decided to jump on the couch, and uh, he declared he was a dinosaur, and then he roared. So... Um, I don't know if y'all know any good doctors that could do a species change for me or not, but uh, <laughs> let, let me know. Um, so let's flip the script on Jeff. And simply put, Jeff would call me a racist if I said what he said, um, if we were talking about a Republican Fetterman and a Democrat Walker. So I'll do what all Republicans should do and grow some testicular fortitude and call the Democrats exactly what they are. So, Jeff, you're a racist. Um, but Ken, Politico released an article on Monday. The headline said, Biden admin set to warn about threats to nation's election infrastructure. So we were told after the 2020 elections, those were the safest and most secure. But two short years later, when the Democrat, excuse me, when the GOP is said to do well, it's not safe and secure. Now, I remember after the 16 elections when the Democrats were in full, you know, election denialism mode, Kamala Harris got in front of Congress and she said she watched voting machines being hacked in front of her. And that video is still on C-SPAN's website. Um, so so which, which is it to your, your callers? One, we're not a democracy, Williams. We're uh, a, a constitutional republic. Um, so I don't like democracy. Democracy is, is mob rule. So, yes, I'd like to see democracy die um, in that sense. Now, we democratically elect our government, um, but we are not a democracy. Um, and to Jeff, well, these elections, which is it? And we have Hillary Clinton saying that 
Republicans already set out to steal the 24 election. So just as hypocritical as they claim we are, they are. Thank you, Ken. Yeah, but thank you, Jim. Appreciate the call. The, 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 the change in the, um, in the devil's brew, so to speak, um, the missing ingredient was a political party that was willing to give an equal and opposite resistance. And now, all of a sudden, post-Trump, the Republicans will get after it a little bit. They'll challenge. Tucker's empowered. Tucker has a large audience. Um, the late Rush Limbaugh was an emphatic uh, movement leader. Uh, Bongino and Clay Travis and talk radio in general. Uh, we, we've empowered a universe of people to not accept things as they, as we're told we had to accept them uh, being. That's the problem. Uh, I don't want to say personally with Jeff. I don't, I don't have any problem with Jeff. I don't. I mean, I disagree with Jeff, but I don't have any personal grievance with Jeff. I have a personal grievance with the American political left. Because once again, they're trying to shut me down. They're trying to disallow me from expressing the beliefs that I have for fear of having to debate. I, I, I have no interest in shutting anybody down. I mean, if we're going to debate gender mutilation, let's do it. I mean, if we're going to talk about transgenderism, let's do it. I mean, if we're going to have a debate on should a woman have an abortion in the 38th week of her pregnancy or not, let's have that debate. But, but the American political left historically has been able to sell a bill of goods to the American public without an equal and opposite resistance. And all of a sudden, Trump shows up. He's a puncher and counterpuncher. It empowered a lot of people within the party to not take it anymore. I don't think the Republican Party's mad as hell to not take it anymore. I just think they're not taking it anymore. And I think that is that has been the missing ingredient. That is the um, That is the newfound element in political discourse, and the left doesn't like it. I mean, the left just does not like debating the issues. They don't like arguing their point against yours. They, they don't like trying to win the debate, win votes, whatever hearts, souls, minds. They, they'd rather just shut you down. That's where we are in America today. And the right refuses to be shut down. The Tucker Carlson's of the world, the talk radio show hosts of the world, um, some of the conservative media outlets have empowered people and, and made them confident in their conservatism back in a minute eight four three six six one oh nine three seven the midterms are dominating the political conversation but what are the midterms about uh we touched on yesterday what would you want the republican party to make as a priority if indeed they gain control of the senate this is going to be a different control guys i mean this is not toomey and portman i mean this could be masters and vance and and walker and dr oz i mean this is a kind of a new breed of Republican leadership if they indeed get elected to the Senate. Vance is in. Laxalt is in. I mean, unless something stupid happens, and I don't know what it could be, the questions are around Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia. I mean, those three races could go either way. Something tells me that the polls are not picking up that this trending energy that I think advantages uh, the Republicans, and it's not traditional establishment Republicans. This is a new iteration, so to speak, of Republican leadership that I think will force the debate far more aggressively than their, um, the previous administrators of conservative politics in America. And some of the issues that are being debated isn't kind of the moral of what you've been talking about this morning. Though, well, I mean, is... Okay, let me, let me stop you there. I'm sorry. Okay. So what issues are being debated? <laughs> well, <laughs> see, that's the thing. You, you asked about what issues are important to Republicans, um, and I hear some of that, but not a lot. 
But what I was what I was going for was like the transgender discussion. Okay. I mean, you're, we're not even really allowed to have a no. back and forth on no, that. No, no, no. If someone gets invited to a college campus and you find out they may or you know they may be a little bit um against the gender mutilation, they're they're, they're banned. You can't come to a college campus if you hold that sort of worldview. Ben Shapiro, um, Candace Owens, some of these uh, Matt Walsh, some of these people who hold conservative opinions and worldviews. They're not allowed. That's the point I'm trying to make, Rev. I am perfectly able and comfortable. And some I'd be more articulate than others. Some I'd be a little more eloquent than others. But I know enough about the issues to be confident in my debate. Let's have the debate. If the Democrats believe that a minor child should be allowed to enter into a medical contract to change their sex, then let's have that debate. I mean, if we believe that transgenderism should be a normal part of society, not one-tenth of one percent, then let's have that debate. Allow those speakers to come on college campuses and debate two and four, you know, for and against. But, but they won't um, do that. No, I mean, of I mean, course they, they, they seem won't. to be for it, but they really won't take the counterpoint. But, but if you had academia and media in your pocket, why wouldn't you try to suppress? Why wouldn't you try to shut down? I mean, imagine, let's use South Carolina Clemson as an example. I mean, we know who the better team is. I mean, we know Clemson is better. I'm, I'm as big a Gamecock fan as there is on the planet. But I know when we go to Death Valley what lies in waiting. But you know what would change my mind? If, if you let me pick out the officials, and if you let me pick the biggest Gamecock homers in the world and put them on the officiating crew, and if Clemson threw a touchdown pass and I realized the defensive back was beaten, I just throw a flag. Why? Because I can that's kind of where we've allowed this political discourse to get. We're not having debates about transgenderism or gender mutilation or abortion because the, the, the people who discern and disseminate information are so monolithic. That's the word of the day. It's a monolith. Ninety-some-odd percent of academia ascribe to a liberal worldview. Ninety-something percent of media ascribe to a liberal worldview. Ninety percent of tech leadership, the big tech companies, Facebook, and I mean, I told you yesterday— if you Google, William Doyle has done his uh, probably the most extensive research on the twenty-sixth, excuse me, the twenty-twenty presidential elections. Anybody I've read, I mean, you can agree or disagree, but he has done a tremendous amount of work in understanding Wisconsin, Michigan. Um, when I Google Bill Doyle election integrity, it takes me to a story. I mean, the first Google that comes up on the Google search is the myth of voter fraud from the Brennan Center. You know what they're telling me? We don't want to debate this. We don't have any interest. But you know why? Because we don't have to. We control big tech. We control the media. We control academia. We don't have to debate you because you guys don't have the ability to influence any of the nuances of the debate. The, the, uh, let's, let's do this. I should have pulled it up during the break. Did you? Were you able to get Matt Walsh? Matt Walsh is a super successful podcaster. I mean, he really is. He's a conservative thought leader. He's a guy who's figured out a way to, I don't know, Rev, um, immerse himself in the internet, find a large audience. He's got 1.83 million subscribers on YouTube. I mean, he's a big deal in that world. He really is. I mean, he's a big deal. He's not Rogan, but who is? You know, I mean, Bongino's not Limbaugh. I mean, you know, everybody, I mean, there are some people that just kind of set, the, I mean, Rogan's the new Johnny Carson. I mean, if you want to be a big shot, a big deal, go on Rogan, just like Carson in the old in the old days. But Matt Walsh is in that next tier. So Matt Walsh um, is allowed to appear at a university in America. I mean, it became very controversial. 
Uh, the students protested. Why would we let this guy on our campus? Uh, the administration protested. The professors protested. But for some reason, the board of trustees held fast. And they said, no, we're not giving in to what the uh, the faculty wants. We're going to allow this guy to come and um, and just, you know, give his opinion on whatever the timely talking points of the day are. Um, anyway, during his delivery, uh, there's a Q&A after he does um, his thing. And, I mean, he's kind of ready for robust debate. I mean, let's have some debate. So a student stands up and they're transitioning. And they begin talking about, and it's a very authentic, real and, and a stirring moment for me. And, and listen to Matt Walsh. This is what liberalism hates. I mean, they despise people who are able to articulate a conservative, anti-liberal worldview in a meaningful and, and profound way. Let's go to the, uh, I mean, listen, it's the student, and then it's Matt Walsh's response to the student. A, a piece of it with you. Here it is. Eight months ago, I was diagnosed with gender dysphoria while I was inpatient here in UW-Madison. Um, I looked into the research and like talked to doctors and through my uh, journey, I decided to explore medically transitioning, you know, because it's shown to decrease suicidal ideation and stuff like that. Um, and since then, although I've had to deal with other issues such as transphobia and sexual assault, I've been more happier overall than I ever was before. And my question to you is, what specifically about medically transitioning do you think is so immoral that we should ignore the potential benefits? And why should I listen to you as somebody who's not a medical professional and has not experienced gender dysphoria? There's a dishonesty behind it. Dishonesty in the false promises that they make, which is that you can attain this image of uh, maleness or femaleness, or that you can actually become in some ways the, the opposite gender or sex, whatever words you want to use, which is a lie. It's not true. You never can. I think I can pass. And I, I, I have a horrible Adam's apple. My, my voice sounds like this. I still love myself. And there has always and you been should. money in making people happy, like wearing nice clothes or good food. It does cost a lot of money. That's why I, I can't get surgeries that would make me a lot happier. Um, but the, but the so point of, but, why, the point, why? but the point of medicine is not supposed to be to make you happy in the moment. That's not, that's not the objective of medicine. The objective of medicine is your overall wellness. It's about treating what is actually wrong. That's, that's medicine. And so if you are struggling to accept who, who you were born as, what your actual biological identity is, I have all the compassion in the world for that. I mean, I, I can't imagine having that disconnect in my head. It has to be a source of, of immense despair. But what I hate is the, is the medical professionals who instead of helping you with that, and help, instead of helping you to accept who you really are and find joy and fulfillment in it, they're trying to make a quick buck and they're selling you false promises, and they're telling you that this stuff is based on long-term studies, and they're lying to you because it's not. There have never been any reliable long-term studies on almost all of this stuff because the fact is that the medical industry only started doing this at such a large scale recently, so they couldn't have the data. They're pretending that they do. They're lying, and that's what I hate. That's, that's the immorality. 
see, I believe this. I mean, maybe I'm optimistic and maybe I just, I want to believe that there's always a chance to pull out of whatever bog you're in. I believe young people want to hear that. I believe there are young people in this country. I mean, I know I got one. I mean, I know there's one in Columbia. I mean, I know this. And she and I have these conversations about, you know, buying a Tesla and agreeing with climate change and getting an A. And I said, don't you ever do that. I mean, don't you ever even consider buying a Tesla and buying into climate change just to get an A. Don't you do that. Young people are our future. And we've got to give them a fair dose of competitive debate and, and constructive d- the dialogue and, and the serious discussions about these very serious issues. And did you hear the young people applaud when Matt Walsh said, I mean, he pushed back. And he was not, I mean, I don't think he insulted the person at all. I mean, it's sad to hear that person struggle with this disconnect they've got. That they're a, I mean, they're, they're a boy who believes they were intended to be a girl. I mean, that's bizarre to me, but that's where we've allowed this debate to get. I mean, there are people today that believe they were born of the wrong race, or excuse me, born of the wrong sex, and, you know, medicine is there to help correct that wrong. I mean, that's, just, that's basically saying that God makes mistakes. That, you know, God, you were born a man, should have been born a woman, if for whatever reason you weren't. Now, now, now I can't get in some of the um, some of the realities of, of transgender. I mean, I, I don't understand it enough, and I'm not trying to. But Matt Walsh basically said nobody has research on this. I mean, the medical community is arguing, and I'm talking about the transgender activist community, arguing we have a plethora of research that shows you were born of the wrong sex and we can help you. No, there is no abundance of research. I mean, there, there's very little research about this. I mean, it's it's normally funded by the government. It's funded in 10, a little bit like climate change. And once again, I'm not arguing whether someone has a right to transition or not. The, the point I'm arguing is let's have a debate about transitioning. Let's have a debate about gender neutrality or, or gender mutilation. Um, let's let more Matt Walsh speak on college campuses and let's let young people entertain a perspective not of a professor not not of an elite liberal not not of a tyrannical do-gooder but of someone who has kind of an alternate worldview and and when i hear those young people applaud it, it excites me i mean it really does and uh, and we should let candace owens speak to as many groups of young people as she chooses ben shapiro some of these young conservative thought leaders should be welcomed with open arms to academic and intellectual settings because they have a, 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 a perspective that is not welcomed and young people are being indoctrinated. I mean, if you're a young, impressionable soul and you don't have an influence other than those those sorts, and I'm talking about the media or academia, I mean, if you're a, um, I mean, if you're a 21-year-old and you don't have a, you know, an active mother or father in your life you defer somewhere else to get your you know political persuasions and, and worldviews and and perspectives and, and i just think the more matt walsh's that are allowed on college campuses he never insulted that person i mean he, to me expressed empathy for that person great empathy for that person he struggled with them and trying to help but, but as he said medicine is not here to just make you feel better for a moment or two I mean, the notion of medicine is to fix what's wrong. And if you are a man who is identifying as a woman, something is wrong. And the easy answer to say, well, God just let you be born the wrong sex. Now, now a lot of these people who believe in training, I mean, they're, they're not of 
the, the religious mind. I mean, they, they, they don't believe in a intelligent designer or an ultimate creator. They believe in, in evolution and happenstance and coincidence and, and all these other sorts of things. But I just think that is a riveting discussion. And it's not about what you believe or not. It's about having a respectful, legitimate debate about things that matter a hell of a lot in a modern, um, successful, and prosperous society. Let's go to the phone. Dan in Florence. Good morning, Dan. Hey, guys. I um, uh, wanted to to amplify what you're saying there, uh, Ken. Um, uh, I, I read a post the other day, and it's from it's about about the Holocaust. And the, the post that was written back then, or somebody writing about the Holocaust said, it didn't start with gas chambers. It started with one party controlling the media, one party controlling the, the message, one party deciding what is truth, one party censoring speech and, and silencing opposition. One party dividing citizens into us and them and calling on their supporters to harass them. It started when good people turned a blind eye and let it, let it happen. And you think about what's happening today, not just in America, but in the world. And, you know, you can, we can talk about where this is coming from. I, I think you and I have an idea, but that, could have, that could have been written today, about today. And I think it's very powerful, and I think people should pay attention to it. Um, the other thing I want to say real quickly uh, is you were talking about what are the Republicans going to do when they take over, and it looks like they will. I read another article recently about how, especially in the House, some of these old dog Republicans are going to be controlling committees still because they've been there so long and that in itself might put the brakes on some of the things that the Republican party, the new people in the Republican party, the new movement we've talked about will be able to do. And it'll be kind of interesting to see how all that plays out, but uh, appreciate you letting me call. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate those comments. Appreciate that input. And I'll say it again. I don't have all the answers. I don't profess to have all the answers. I mean, I've got a lot of opinions, I think my opinions are somewhat informed. I mean, they're more informed on some I mean, business matters and, and economic matters. I tend to understand a little better than I do some of the other social and cultural issues, but I still have opinions there. The point I'm trying to make is the most dangerous thing in America today. I mean, if we are a representative republic, it's to disallow debate. It's to censor people who have an opinion alternate to what you believe is in our best interest. You have a right to believe what you choose to believe. You have a right to express that belief in a fair-minded way. But I have that right as well. And the concern I have is when when, when one um, entity or enterprise is so dominated by a political thought, as academia is, as the media is, we begin to drift off into a place of people afraid to speak their minds. And I think Tucker did a good job last night of explaining extremism is not a crime. It should never be a crime. People have a right to have extreme views. And what an extreme view to me, it may be different to you. Um, I mean, I, I believe that $31 trillion in debt will ultimately be our nation's demise. 
That's not a conspiracy theory. That's not an extreme view. It's out of the mainstream, but I certainly have a right to have that view. You don't have a right to censor me and, and disallow me from being a part of the discussion, but that's where we are, guys. And I think, and, and, I, and I'll say this, I don't believe for a second that the majority of Democrat rank-and-file voters believe that a child should be allowed to enter into a contract to have a sex change operation as a minor. I mean, you can't convince me of that. Now, now I believe the Obama acolytes do because I think they're politically activists, and I think they would have transformed the nation. I think they're offended by religion. I think they're offended by accountability. I think they're bothered by the, the, the role of limited government the Constitution defines. Uh, I think they'd rather government be God and, and government in control of everything, government more authoritative in, in, in most of our um, daily lives and activities. But I don't believe every Democrat believes that a minor child should be allowed to enter into America. But your party does. I mean, the leadership of your party, the, those folks who are trying to fundamentally transform our country from historically what it's been to something unique and different. And it's easy to say, well, you know how those racists are. You know how those bigots are. You know how those closed-minded people are and for many years republican leadership allowed themselves to be labeled that Ah, maybe we are racist maybe we are closed-minded maybe we are bigoted but i think trump ushered in a wave of resistance that empowers people to say shut up i'm not a racist you're a nut to believe that that gender mutilation makes any sense how stupid is it to think that a woman uh, has a right to change her sex as a 12 year old you see where i'm headed I mean, I think for a long time, the, the Republicans didn't want to be part of that. You know why? They wanted to be revered and respected by whom? Academia and the media. I mean, the, the John McCain, Mitt Romney's of the world, they don't care what the Rust Belt voter thinks of them. They're much more interested in how many times they'll get invited to meet the press or do they get the, um, you know, the, the Kennedy Medal of Freedom. And we got one party interested in that. We got one party fundamentally interested in transforming the country culturally, socially, economically, politically from what has historically been the norm to a new norm. And we've not had an equal and opposite resistance. And now we do. And if Blake Masters gets elected and J.D. Vance and Herschel Walker and Dr. Oz and Adam Laxalt, that is a great day for a movement that resists this transformation of America into something that I think we'll speed up our demise. Take a break. Back in a minute. Well, I mean, it's a yield on your money. I mean, when you buy a bond or a T-bill or whatever investment you make in the federal government, I mean, you get a higher premium. But there is one reason to be optimistic. The majority of debt we financed in the last 10 or 12 years has been at a much suppressed interest rate. A lot of the high interest rate debt, um, and I'm talking about 13, 14, 15% debt, uh, we, we're, we're beginning to wrap up servicing. In other words, if you bought a 30-year T-bill and the government guaranteed you a 13% return because of inflation and the Volcker years and 19% interest rate, the majority of that debt's becoming, um, it's, it's rolling off. I mean, it's rolling off being replaced with cheaper finance debt. But um, I mean, there's no way to defend what the Fed has done, period. I mean, there is no defense to what the Fed has done. There are a couple of macros I mean, I'm thinking about why would I be optimistic about the American economy, that there is no reason, but there are two things that I think in the macro, I mean, if you forced me and said, I'm going to shoot you in the head, if you don't come up with two things that, you know, make me more optimistic, one would be that some of the more expensive debt 
is being replaced with cheaper debt. And I'm talking about borrowed costs. I'm talking about the carrying cost of the debt. And the other is, this is weird. The other is, I mean, it cuts both ways. We're, we're seeing a decline in birth rate. That means fewer people will start turning 65 at some point in time. Now, that's very much the macro, but that will, I mean, it, it'll create less GDP because you've got a declining population or a not as fast growing population. We could do a whole show on that, but but there's no defense of the Fed and um, and what they've done. You know, they're the ones that said this inflation was going to be transitory. Um, really and truly, the Democrats are probably getting blamed more for the inflation than they deserve. But don't tell anybody. You know, that's kind of an interesting, I mean, I can tell you why Joe's running those ads, because it polls well. I mean, the, the legalization of marijuana polls better than 60% in South Carolina. Sports betting is over 65. It's close to 70% in South Carolina. So those two issues are poll tested. The two issues of marijuana and gambling are, are, are kind of interesting to me. And I, I would imagine many people share this sentiment. I am personally opposed to government getting in the legalization of drugs business, government getting in the, the legalization of vice business. And I'm talking about gambling. But politically, I accept that I don't have the moral authority to dictate how other people live. Once again, personally, it's against my virtue to say the government needs to endorse gambling. The government needs to endorse the legalization of a dangerous drug. But but once again, I'm not allowed to use the political system as my personal litmus test. I mean, I get that I take a lot of that with me. Uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a God-fearing Christian man. I mean, I believe that grace, forgiveness, and mercy are the only hope any of us have and will ever have. No matter who's in charge, Democrat, Republican, the Federal Reserve. I mean, if grace, forgiveness, and mercy don't exist, we're all done. Personally, I believe one thing, but politically, I accept that I'm a part of a representative republic that has to come to some sort of conclusion on um, on drugs, gambling, and some of the other controversial issues we try our best to deal with. Well, I mean, if that's true, there probably should be a full-fledged investigation. Um, Jesse gets it right most of the time. At at times, imagine this, he sensationalizes and embellishes uh, some of the stories. I've read some of the media accounts of that, you know, uh, story in Boston. I don't know. I mean, I've read contradictory and conflicting reports. I'm hesitant to say what I do know and don't know other than, I mean, Jesse put it out there, but Jesse is somewhat, and I think he'd admit to this, of a uh, media provocateur uh, in some way, shape, or form. I'll do a, I mean, I, I owe the caller this. I'll, I'll try to tell you exactly where I land on that particular issue after I do a little further investigating. I've been real consumed lately by the midterms. I mean, Rev knows that. I mean, I, I've really tried to understand with, with absolute certainty where I think we are, where I think we're headed, because if the Republicans win control of the House and Senate, it's going to be interesting to see who they investigate and uh, and what sort of summations uh, they conclude. Let's go to the, uh, is it another winner? Next okay. winner. We're all extremists. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you question authority today, you're an extremist. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got people in prison uh, because of trespassing, but you trespassed on uh, the house that Nancy Pelosi's in charge of. The government holds in, in, in reverence. It, it is what it is. Um 
you're not an extremist if you're a MAGA Republican. To me, if you're a MAGA Republican, you're a part of the most exciting political, I don't know, uh, enterprise in American politics today. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't bow down to uh, some of the commentary of extremists and, and out of touch and on the fringe. You're, you're none of that. Um, and, and I think it's so, it's so refreshing for me to sit here 13 days before a midterm believing with all of my heart. I'm not trying to convince myself of this. I mean, believing there is data to show that the media said don't elect or nominate these fringe candidates because they don't have a chance to win. And it looks like 70 to 80 percent of the people we were warned to not nominate or select in our primary process will be a member of Congress in either the Senate or House of Representatives. There's an interesting article in National Review that was printed at 846 this morning. So it's what, an hour are so old. I want to read it in its entirety. It's real quick. It's an easy read. It's only a couple of um, paragraphs long, but I think it's very interesting. Once again, National Review been somewhat fair-minded about Trump and the elections. It is a uh, uh, they, they would hold themselves in high regard of being kind of the intellectual. St- I mean, Weekly Standard went defunct, so the National Review by default became I don't know rather the gathering place of where the um where the never Trumper and always Trumper collide. You know what I mean? It's kind of yeah, the point of convergence. The last one standing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's right. The last, I mean, the American conservative is far more sympathetic to America first. I mean, it's a non-interventionist, non-globalist site. Um, the, the National Review still holds on to some of the, um, I don't know, the virtues of days gone by and Republican leadership. But um, Jeffrey Ballar writes for the National Review. He's actually a freelance writer who does a lot of work for a lot of different places. But I want to read this verbatim. Um, and I won't bore you because it's not, but a couple of paragraphs, but it's interesting. At 8.46 this morning, like many of you, I watched last night's Pennsylvania Senate debate between John Fetterman and Mehmet Oz with something akin to slack-jawed horror. Fetterman's manifest inability to deal with the contradictions and inconvenient past positions in his record is one political matter. His manifest inability to process simple verbal exchanges or respond in complete and coherent sentences is something entirely different. I rewatched the debate this morning, and my feelings turned from shock to anger. I understand that John Fetterman has his own agency and personal ambitions, but I am stunned, given how feeble he is right now, that anyone who loves him or cares for him would have allowed him to continue on this campaign. He desperately needs to be working on rehabilitation as a full-time endeavor, seven days a week. I understand the reality that Democrats want to retain the U.S. Senate just as much as Republicans wish to retake it. But at some point, you have to find a new candidate. And now, I suspect, Pennsylvania Democrats are about to pay for their cynicism. Well said, my good friend. Um, That is a very poignant way of explaining what we saw last night. I, I had the gamut of emotions. I mean, I went from being... Wow. I mean, I, I was like, holy, what? I mean, this is bizarre. I mean, this guy cannot carry on a conversation with anybody. I mean, he's got all these, I don't know if you saw it or not, Reb, but there's a um, there's a couple of screens behind the moderators, like a teleprompter, yeah. that have the words coming up so that. he can uh, audibly process what it is they're asking him. And um, but but that and I'm not I'm not saying the Republicans wouldn't do the same thing. Maybe they would, but they're not. I mean, there's nobody with an R beside their name 
to compare John Fetterman to today. I was not sure a couple of days ago because I've not seen. We've not been allowed to talk to Fetterman. I mean, he's been very controlled. He's been hidden, a little bit like Biden. And when you're in that cognitive state, I understand it. But he's a reliable vote for abortion under any condition at any time. And the Republicans are, excuse me, the Democrats are willing to let him march himself out there and make a fool of himself and his family in the name of one day down the road needing a critical vote to codify legislation that allows a woman to have an abortion at any point in her pregnancy. Don't take my word for it. John Fetterman himself has gone on the record and says that a woman should be allowed to terminate her pregnancy at any time before the baby is born. That's his position. That's not a radio show host provoking some sort of response. So, um, as long as he's that, they'll endure. They'll do anything imaginable to prop him up, to prod him along, to get him elected in some way, shape, or form. I was thinking about the donor class. I mean, if you're somebody with a lot of money, I mean, if you've got a couple of hundred million dollars and it's nothing to spend, you know, a million on a Senate campaign in, in Pennsylvania, how do you square that up in your conscience? I mean, you're a wealthy person. You can spend your money as you see fit. But how do you, how do you square that up? When you watch the performance of Fetterman last night and you consider yourself a patriotic American, how do you endorse or support a guy in that condition going to the U.S. Senate? I don't know, but some do. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. Only two or three minutes left. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Yeah, Jeff has had a chance to call back. Hey, Jeff. Hey, guys. Um, thanks for taking my call. Uh, first, did you feel like I made any racist comments about Herschel Walker? Did I mention his race? No, well, I mean, I think I the, uh, his profession. I mean, the, the other caller said that if a conservative had said something similar to what you said, they would be called a racist and, uh, and liberals are not, or Democrats are not. Okay. So just to be clear, do you feel like I said anything that was racist? And if I were playing politics, I'd argue you did. Um, but 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 after no, I, I've told you enough to know that I think you're sincere. I think yeah. you're genuine. I don't think you have uh, a, a racial motivation. But if I were playing hardball politics, I would accuse you of that. Sure. <laughs> um, and you, you just said uh, you don't know how any patriotic American could vote for Fetterman. Right? I don't. I don't, Jeff. I honestly don't. Okay. After watching what I watched last night, I mean, it, it was sad. It was bizarre. It was. I mean, it was weird. It was dangerous. I mean, I've just never seen anything like that. And I've seen a lot of people screw up debates. Yeah. Um, So you should look up Mike Pompeo's comments on Oz. Because you know he's a Turkish citizen, right? Correct. You know he doesn't vote in the U.S. elections. He votes in the Turkish elections. Historically, he has, yes. Yep. You know that he served in the Turkish military. Mm Mm-hmm. And none of that's anti-American. But I will say this. If he was going to run for the U.S. Senate, he should give up his Turkish citizenship before he does it. I would agree with that. Okay. I, w- I would agree with that. So so we're we're willing to elect a foreign national, and that's a, that's you don't feel that's un-American? Not really. I mean, I, okay. No, no, let, let, let me understand what you're saying. I mean, and I understand you're, you're, you're trying to turn it around on me. 
but but last night was about Fetterman. I mean, I, I've not vetted. I mean, I'm not a Pennsylvanian. I mean, I'm not a resident of Pennsylvania. I've not had to go through what what you know what Oz did in Turkey or didn't do in Turkey or what sort of um you know medical career he had and what sort of radio or television show he hosts. I mean, if I were a Pennsylvanian, I would imagine I'd, I'd probably better explore more explore you know the ins and outs, do's and don'ts, pros and cons of an Oz uh, you know being a senator. But but what I watched last night, I've never seen anything like that in American politics. A guy struggle not with an issue, but to coherently put together sentences. That was bizarre to me, strange to me. Yeah. And, and I don't know how you believe that's in the country, country's best interest to have a guy in that state deciding whether or not to spend millions of dollars, billions, trillions, whether or not to allow somebody to be a Supreme Court justice for the rest of their life. That's, I mean, to, to me, that does question your patriotism. Well, you, 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 should, you should talk to a speech therapist and see what happens when somebody has a stroke and expressive aphasia and see how that recovery can happen, will happen. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where... Um, and and you, I pray you, it does, Jeff, and I mean this sincerely. I pray he does get better. I mean, I don't wish the guy any ill will, and I'm more angry at the people who allowed him to go out there and, and attempt to have a debate with a, a pretty articulate medical doctor. Yeah, a Turkish citizen. <laughs> Pretty articulate medical doctor. <laughs> hey, just to be just to be clear, Jeff, I want to make sure. You, so your position is that Herschel Walker is not qualified to be in the U.S. Senate, but John Fetterman is. Um, I, I, if you're going to make more uh, equivalence on on intelligence, uh, I would say that yes, uh, Fetterman is more uh, suited to be a candidate than than uh herschel walker did Absolutely. you watch last night jeff i did okay i did watch it didn't concern night. you and it i mean again i understand what he's diagnosed with okay. we we all do we he we all diagnosed. understand and it's unfortunate that the guy had a stroke but he had a stroke in the middle of a campaign running for senate he's got to excuse himself to me the voters should disqualify fetterman because he's not up for the job right now he may be in six years Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. Eight, well, no, no, no. Yeah, didn't give the number now. We're about to get show. out of here. Glad Jeff called back. A um, lot of interesting content today. A lot of interesting debate and discussion, disagreement. We'll try to do four more hours of it tomorrow. Enjoy your day.